Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another edition of your favorite movie podcast, the metal-twisting, gravity-defying phenomenon known as Force Perspective. This is episode 81, Everybody Wants the Nice Green Lobster. I'm your host, SportsGuy515, and on this episode, we'll discuss some of summer 2016's latest releases, including Everybody Wants Some, Green Room, The Nice Guys, Neighbors 2, The Lobster, and finally, X-Men Apocalypse. Before we dive in, allow me to introduce my co-host first, my normal force suspected co-host, the man who very narrowly avoided being turned into an elephant, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. Yeah, an elephant. Uh, I, I almost I almost had it there, you know, but in the last couple days there, I, I managed to find true love, uh, but it's only because we, we got a kid to, to help us save the relationship. <laughs> Perfect, bro. We're going to get deep into that one very soon, but... uh. Last but certainly not least, our special guest co-host, a man who will never, ever complain about a sorority movie next door, ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Draven. I just came from uh, almost telling my dad that I'm his kid, but I didn't have the boss <laughs> to do it. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, he was, well, he was up there with a bunch of metal floating around him. I, was, I just couldn't do it. It was freaking me out. <laughs> All right, guys. Welcome back to Force Suspected, everybody. So last and, episode... and for the record, yes, at one time in my life, I have had uh, Quicksilver's hair exactly the way he has it. <laughs> so, just, just to get that out of the way. Actually, there's an aspect of our first summer we're going to talk about that I think might harken back to some of your younger days, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But I just want to say, uh, so for those of us, those of you following the show, so last couple episodes, we kind of focused more on nostalgia. Um episode 79 we talked about my favorite film scarface which is a great show one of my favorite shows that we ever did and then last episode we did taxi driver with uh with head case so uh check those out on the archives but now we're gonna go back to some recent releases and we're gonna start with one that came out a couple months ago from uh a director who i'm a very big fan of somebody who directed my favorite film of 2015 which was boyhood or was it 2014 i don't even remember anymore <laughs> but actually 2014. 2014. But before we start, uh, Draven, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, actually, I have a, I have a little bit of a head cold. So in true Mexican fashion, I'm drinking Jack and Coke because I want to get a good night's sleep tonight. Very nice. <laughs> I'm keeping it casual today. I just have a Corona. So I'm going to take a sip as well. That's not very casual for a weekday, but uh, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of nostalgia, though, as I talked about earlier, our first film on this docket will be Everybody Wants Some, directed by Richard Linklater. And uh, Adolfo, why don't you get us started? Tell us a little bit about this film. So Everybody Wants Some is, you know, as you said, the latest film from Richard Linklater. He called it, uh, and I got really sick of hearing this in the promotional material, but he called it a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused. In other <laughs> words, uh, it wasn't a direct sequel. It didn't have the same character or anything, but uh, it basically had kind of the same feel, the same vibe. It was a, it was a slice of life story uh that takes place you know days and confused took place in the 70s this takes place at the very beginning of the 80s i think in 1980 actually um and it's a slice of life story about uh, uh a a college freshman who's about to you know start uh college in a few days and he's moving into moving into campus and he's a baseball player he moves into like the baseball not like a frat house, but like the it's house like a where field all the house, players, yeah, yeah, where all the like the team house where all the baseball players live, and it's basically just a slice of life story of of, of him 
kind of meeting his new teammates, uh, getting used to the college lifestyle, hooking up with girls, going to parties. And that's it. I mean, that's the quote unquote plot of the story. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not really, um, it, it, it like Days and Confused, like Boyhood, there's no real plot of, you know, there's a, you know, there's a character arc and there's a story that goes from A to B to C. Um, but it, it just really kind of just shows like this, this guy's life in these, for, in these couple days right before he starts college. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was, um, uh, it's a very, it's a good, <clears throat> it's a good guy movie. Uh, it, it really shows a lot. It really kind of explores a lot about like male bonding because this is a guy who didn't know anybody when he got there, and he, and he starts bonding with you know his team members. Uh, and and you don't even have to like sports. I don't like sports at all, and I I really enjoyed uh, uh really enjoyed kind of the the camaraderie and the friendship that that you know goes along with this. Absolutely. And a lot of it uh, kind of hit true um to like you know how I felt whenever I was first starting college and first you know kind of striking out on my own as a as a young man, so to speak. So um, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I got a couple of bullet points here. Uh, first of all, great, great, likable characters. Like you mentioned earlier, it is very much a bro film, so you kind of get to see like the guys hanging out, you know, going to, you know, going out to clubs, meeting girls, and all that stuff, while kind of building their team camaraderie for uh, for the upcoming baseball season uh, in school. Um, and like you also said, it's really a story that doesn't go anywhere, but it's nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, and you know. As we know, Linky is very, is a sucker for nostalgia, as you can see with Days and Confused. But it's a very, very fun ride, though. But the thing about Linky, though, is that his writing and direction are, like, so aesthetically human that despite being said, like, I think it was, like, the late 70s, early 80s, we are able to kind of take our own nostalgia trip, you know, back to our college years, our, to our formative years, and kind of relive similar events as the characters experience. And also, I got to mention incredible incredible soundtrack it's, it's one of those soundtracks that as soon as the movie was over i hopped on itunes and bought the whole thing yeah i so bought just, the soundtrack too yeah it's really good absolutely phenomenal retro soundtrack and uh i mean the whole time period though like i mentioned i think on the um on the taxi driver show like late 70s early 80s is the time period that i would have wanted to live in if i could pick you know it just seems like such a like a free like just like an awesome time to be a part of you know such an awesome time to be alive um Zoe Deutsch, even though she's not really in this movie much, looks very good here. Um, but then again, so was her mom, and still is, in my opinion. So uh, there's that. Um, but I think the real MVP of this movie was Glenn Powell, who played Finnegan. I mean, he just plays one of those guys that you always just want to shoot the shit with and has just genuine charisma that you always want to be around. Um, did you want to say something? I, yeah, no, I, I, was I just got to say that that name Finnegan already has heel heat with me. I just. <laughs> Finnegan, bro. <laughs> no, but the character itself, bro, is an alpha, bro, like legit. But uh, the uh, the last thing I want to kind of mention here is like I think what I like the well, one of the things I like about it the most was that it really explored like the different like cultural like cliques or sects of the time. Like for example, like the punk subculture. And when I say punk, I don't mean the Phil Brooks kind of punk. I mean <laughs> like the uh, cut up denim vest, the nose piercing, and the old wallet chains. Which Draven, I don't know if that hits home for you a little bit. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, the disco subculture, which on which was on decline during the time of the of the film, uh, the country subculture, and then kind of the art subculture with the performing arts students throwing their own parties. So throughout the whole like film, they went to like four different parties with four different social groups and kind of showed how like their um, I guess values kind of interacted and clashed. And it, it was very interesting to see. But overall, very good film. It was my favorite film for a little bit. Until a few other films I saw kind of kicked in. But a uh, very great film. Linky does it again, in my opinion. And definitely one people should check out. 
Yeah, I think to, to echo your statements also, uh, the, the cast is really, really good. Um, even though even though you don't buy for a second any of these like 28-year-olds are in college, but whatever, um, the, the, it's okay. The, the, they're, still, they're still good in the roles. Um, the, you know, as you said, you kind of go from party to party, but I think actually my favorite scene in the film isn't one of the parties. It's actually um, the baseball practice. Uh, there's a whole scene, you know, can they kind of build up to it? To, uh, right. It's, it's not, it's not the last, no, cause the last scene, the last thing, major thing is the art party, the party at the art house, like the art school people. But like that afternoon they, they have a baseball practice and, um, it's, and it really is just kind of watching them practice, which sounds boring, but the way it's shot and the way, you know, and, and after you've spent, you know, 90 minutes or whatever it is kind of getting to know these characters, it's it's a, it's a very it's a very enjoyable time to watch these guys kind of go out there and you know show what they can do and um because at, at, up to this point they kind of just talk about baseball you don't actually see them do any baseball do any baseball jeez <laughs> play any baseball uh so so like you actually get to see them uh excel and, and and in their own environment which I thought was actually really cool yeah I agree that's a great scene as well it's kind of like the Basically the climax of the whole thing, too. But yeah, uh, this is actually one of my... Uh, it was my favorite up until another movie came out that we're going to talk about a little later. Uh, but it's it's currently in my top five. I really, really enjoyed this film. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely recommend this one. Definitely. I don't know if it's still in theaters anymore. It's, been, it's like a couple months old now. But no, definitely... but at this point, it's probably getting close to be released uh, on On Demand or, or DVD or something. Yeah. I mean, it came out in... Uh, I think March or April, and it's a small movie. So the small movies usually have, whenever they're in theaters like this, they usually have a very short uh, theater life uh, before they they hit the the home media market. So uh, you know, I expect it to be coming out fairly soon for for uh, home media. So uh, whenever it's out there, I would suggest you know getting it at Redbox or downloading it on a, a not downloading but streaming it on a on a on demand service of some sort. But it's it's really good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, awesome. But uh, now, did, you, did you guys, when you guys paid for this movie, when you guys bought the tickets, did you guys actually request it as per the name? Because you guys are supposed to scream it according to those questions, you know? You guys had to go there and just get everybody wants some. Want some. <laughs> I don't know if I could have gotten away with that because I had to, I mean, even, even whenever I saw it in theaters, uh, I had to drive to a freaking art house theater to find it, so uh, it wasn't playing anywhere in the multiplexes. So I had to drive like you know a good thirty minutes to get to it. So it was a, it was I was the only one in the theater when I watched it, and it was like a random like Wednesday night or something. So I think I would have been the only one there. I think it was a little odd, screaming a title of a movie. <laughs> yeah, Wait, I remember this... I had to choose between this and a green room, and I went with a green room. That was uh. Because, yeah, both of those films were very hard to find. Even here in L.A., they, I had to kind of drive out of the way. So um, I went with that one. And then by the time I wanted to see this one, it's already gone. So I just had to wait for it. That's a good segue because actually Green Room is our next uh, film on the docket here. But before I actually move on to that, uh, Dolfo, was this one of those films where you were like the only guy in the theater? I was literally the only person in the theater. <laughs> well, that happens the all the person. time, though. I mean, that's nothing new. You know, with the with uh, with you know the kind of films that we watch, you're gonna get that a lot. You just gotta be. Though I'd rather be alone than be with just like one other person. To be honest with you, I'm, that's what makes it. Yeah. Kind of me, you know? Yeah, like my It Follows experience last year. That was creepy as hell. Which is awesome. <laughs> that was an awesome story though. <laughs> but uh, Green Room, 
uh, Draven, do you want to tell us a little bit about what this is about? Sure. Uh, so Green Room, um, again, it's a very small movie. So it's, it's uh, got limited release. Um, had actually been doing, running the first festival circuit about a year before it got released, So uh, which, which is part for the course for these kind of movies. Uh, so Green Room, is, uh, it's about a rock, a punk band. We were talking about punk rock earlier. Uh, it's a punk band. Uh, I believe the name is The Ain't Rights, correct? Something like that. The Ain't Rights, yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, and uh, it's, there's four characters. Uh, uh, it's uh, I remember Tiger. I, okay, let me. Okay, I got it here. Pam, Sam, Reese, and Tiger. And uh, the movie takes place in uh, Portland, Oregon, I believe, or or somewhere in Oregon. And, and one of the things I like about it is that it does look like Oregon, which was pretty cool. Uh, very wet, very green. And so the band, you know, they're they're, they're struggling. They're 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 doing the was known in the punk world as DIY, which is do-it-yourself movement, which is pretty much you go to gig to gig, and then somebody sets it up, and that's how you make your money. Uh, very very uh, low-level promoting. So they ended up meeting. They they you know somehow they get a gig that doesn't really go quite as they planned, and uh, they end up hooking up with this other guy who ends up booking them at this bar. Now this bar happens to be filled with, like, the biggest scumbags, you know, Nazis, skinheads, racists, you name it. They're all in there, all right? So what ends up happening is that they ended up they end up going to the bar to do their gig, and right off the bat, you know, because um, one of the things about punk rock is that you have two kinds of punk rock music. You have the pro-Nazis and you have the anti-Nazi movement. So... Uh, this particular band, it's all about anti-Nazi. So the first thing they sing is a very anti-Nazi song. Now, the only problem with that is that there's a bunch of Nazis in the audience. So already you start getting a vibe of something going on. You know, nothing really happens, which kind of, kind of, that was pretty cool because it kind of threw me for a loop. I thought that, that was going to escalate to the next level, but it didn't. That was just kind of an isolated incident. So anyway, so the, band's, the band finishes their set and they go into the aforementioned green room, which is the name of the title. And there... Uh, and I love how they did this. There's just a dead body. A, a chick that's kind of introducing the audience earlier, uh, she's just there with a knife stuck in her head. And everybody panics, right? So that kind of takes us into the second act of the movie. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like the people that murder this this girl don't, don't want to allow the band uh, who just witnessed this to leave the, the, the uh, bar. So they kind of get stuck in this green room. And that's kind of what takes us into the, uh, you know, the, the plot and, and, and how they're going to get out of it. Um, and, and so, you know, it goes on from there. And then it just kind of becomes a movie kind of survival. It's kind of us against them. Um, the, the great Patrick Stewart shows up in this. Uh, I, th I thought he did a pretty good job. You know, he's kind of like the, he's the owner of the bar. And I also like how the bad guys kind of... They weren't like your stereotypical bad guys because they didn't really they didn't really have a plan. That's one of the things I like about this movie. It's like it's not your typical, you know, from very early on. Oh, we're gonna kill them and that. No, they actually try to very logically figure out a way out of this without actually hurting the band. I mean, that doesn't go on very long, but it's 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 considered. And then you know, it just it just kind of a calamity after calamity, and then it just so happens that it leads to this great climax where pretty much you know everybody just dies or whatever you know and and so that then then you get the typical final girl scene you know with every like with like your typical horror movie and then uh you get the 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 final scene with the with the with the girl and the guy so that's pretty much it you know i, I didn't want to go too much into it but um i like this movie what do you guys think of it 
Uh, this is actually my favorite movie of the year so far. Uh, I really dug this movie on uh, on almost every single level. Um, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the um, the setup. I enjoyed the the tension, uh, the build up to the tension, and then I enjoyed the kind of straight up act. Like it's kind of a half action, half horror movie element like that goes on from that. And by horror, it's not like there's a zombies and, and supernatural elements, but like just the gore and the violence. That's what I mean by like by horror that, that happens uh you know after after the shit hits the fan. But also kind of the the tension. It's almost kinda like um Kind of like Assault on Precinct 13, where there's just it, one... It, it, it reminded me a lot of those 70s uh, horror movies that were, like, based on reality, and they were shot a certain way to where it was it was very much, like, atmosphere-driven. It wasn't so right. much, like, like boost scares or jump scares. It was it, it was just the whole aura of the entire movie, uh, including the the actual, like, very depressing setting is setting. You know, it's like, even even if the day would have been great and the and the band would have played there, they're still in fucking, you know, bumfuck Oregon somewhere where it always rains and they're like Nazis all over the place. So, I mean, just the location itself really helped, you know? And the way it was shot, and um, again, I, I, the villains were not your your cartoony villains. I mean, they were at times, but especially towards the end. But but in the beginning, I really like how like they were they were they too were conflicted, you know. And and one of the one of the things that I was very lucky is that I knew nothing about this movie going in because I didn't want to know because I had already started hearing the reviews how like it's very tense. And the only the only reason when when I when I read that a movie's tense. You know, you want to, you want to, you don't really want to know much about it because it, it it only helps the tension while you're watching it. So I decided to avoid everything. So I'm going along with this band too, and then it's like when all of a sudden, uh, you know, the the girl's there with the knife in her head. I was like, oh shit! And then so now I know. So this is what's gonna kick things off. You know, where I thought it was gonna be where the the singer kind of pisses off the Nazis or whatever. So it was it was it was a great time. Yeah, th- this is a lot of fun. I, I really really love this movie. Um, I. I... Uh, I'm I'm a little sad that it didn't get more of a release or more of a attention. I, I mean, I know critics love this movie. I know it, it had a very high rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so um, a lot of the critics did enjoy this film. But it just uh, it just had such a limited release. I don't think it, it reached a lot of audiences. I think this is one of those movies that's going to, because of the reputation it earned, uh, it's going to have like this really good second life on 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 uh, home media, on DVD, Blu-ray, uh, on demand, all that. That you know, it's going to build a reputation over over years uh as like a really cool little uh a thriller i guess the thriller is really the best word for it because not quite a horror movie it's more of a thriller um and, and uh i just uh like i said it's my favorite movie of the year i love patrick stewart in this film uh you know for you've already you know really playing against type you know he's not He's not uh, Captain Picard. He's not uh, Professor X. He's just this kind of despicable uh, white supremacist. But what what I like about it is, like you said, he's not cartoony. He's not very. He's not like the you, what you expect like a white supremacist to be like. He's very soft spoken. Uh, he's very calculating. He's not like a dumb redneck. I, I guess I guess what's scary about that is that I imagine that's how the real white supremacists are, you know, very soft spoke. You know, it just it just it's it's very realistic in a, in a roundabout way. It really is. Yeah, I really like this performance, and this is like another performance. Like this is this. It reminded me. I was thinking of while I was watching the movie. It was, uh, reminded me of uh, John Goodman in uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane in the sense that um, this is the second time this year we've had like a uh, like a genre movie 
where like the villain is played by kind of like this lovable actor that everyone likes uh and, and they're kind of playing this kind of despicable heel so i, I really enjoyed this film <laughs> mark have you seen it not yet. I really, really, really wanted to see this, but it's, oh, okay. I just so, didn't have so, time to see it. But uh, I'm definitely uh, going to be catching this the first chance I get, whether it's uh, on Netflix or whether it's DVD or instant stream, whatever. I'm going to – as soon as I'm able to, I'm definitely going to catch this because I really, really wanted to see this. The, like the buzz around this was incredible, and you guys just put it over enough for me to just like – I'm dying to see it now. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm very happy that movies like this and, like, everybody wants them, they get a limited theatrical. Because, again, we rarely see those little, like, self-contained movies anymore, you know? You got to kind of look for them on video on demand now or, like, you know, straight to video. So get, getting to see movies like these in the brick screen where, like, an artistic filmmaker, which this guy is, um, uh, Jeremy Solander, so I think. Can. Yeah, so now... Can. He did another. He did another phenomenal film that everybody should check out. It's called Blue Ruin. He did that was his previous film. It's a revenge movie, but it's very, very unique and very, very original. And it's 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 very fun. It's 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 like a wherever you think it's going, that's not exactly where it's going. It kind of hits you in the gut in the second act. And and so uh, if people should check out if they like Green Room, they should definitely check out Blue Ruin. I believe it was on Netflix for the longest time, but that's another movie that got a lot of hype in 2013. And ended up being like in my top ten just because of how original it was, you know. So um, uh, people should check that one out as well. But yeah, Green Room, whenever it comes out again, like like the previous movie we covered, it should be out on digital very very soon, or Redbox or whatever. And and people should definitely check it out. Uh, I did I did just um, I did just ch- uh, look it up, and on it, it, it it's getting a Blu-ray DVD release. On July 12th, so about a month away from the time we record this. Um, I'm not sure. Sometimes they do digital ahead of that, so you yeah. might look for it before then. But at least on DVD, Blu-ray, uh, you you should be able to get it by July 12th. So um, it, it'll be out soon. Uh, so I'm I, I I highly 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 recommend it. Um, my favorite movie of the year. So far. also there, there's a there's a very there's a running joke about uh what what would your 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 uh, what was it your your music collection be. If you were stuck in an island, and oh, I'll leave it yes, at that, because it's island, perfect. Yeah. It's, per- it's, it's a running joke that runs throughout the entire movie, and uh, and we'll leave it at that because Mark hasn't seen it, so that, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. The payoff is perfect too. The payoff is really yeah. good. Yeah, oh, and I, and I'm and it has uh, and it, and the cast itself, like like uh, Anton Jelshin, who's done a lot of TV, um, but also you know he got a little push with that Terminator movie that didn't that went nowhere. The Terminator <laughs> Salvation, right? And, and you know he's done a lot of stuff. He's in the Star Trek movie, I believe. Uh, you know he's in that franchise. Um, you know you see him pop up here and there. You know same thing with uh, Emotion Poots, which has to be uh, another one of those fucking worst names I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, and she also pops up in a lot of stuff here and there. So you know you had some pretty credible actors. Um, uh, I don't know the name of the other girl, the blonde one, but uh, you know it's 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 uh it's a good movie. Most definitely. I cannot wait to check this one out, guys. But um, now to jump from a movie that Draven hasn't seen to a movie I haven't seen to a movie Adolfo hasn't seen, we're going to head right into uh, Neighbors 2. Now, I'll take the rain on this one a little bit. But, um, I mean, I had my doubts about seeing this initially because I figured it was going to be just another pointless sequel in the vein of Hangover 2 and the uh, even more pointless Horrible Bosses 2. But, uh... Oh um, God! Let's let's get to the plot a little bit. So I love the beginning because the beginning is like um, the beginning. I kind of set the tone for the film, and I was very pleasantly surprised. So 
we, we revisit Mac and Kelly from part one, who are Seth Rogen and Roseburn, respectively. They're trying to sell their house, and they end up buying a buyer for it, but it turns out that the house, like, the deal's in escrow. And it's funny because, like, they spend, like, a good, like, five minutes, it seems, saying, you know, what's escrow? Like, you know, and the realtor saying, you know, we told you, you said you knew what escrow meant when you signed the deal. Like, I, what's escrow? You got to explain what escrow is. So, it's essentially, they're explaining out to the audience, too, that when a house is in escrow, you know, the, the for 30 days, the buyer can back out of the deal while they perform, like, their own inspections of the house and blah, blah, blah. So, for 30 days, the buyer can pull out of the deal. So, they so, back in – By the way, this is uh, – that's actually not – the, 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 I, not, I haven't seen the movie, but the, the way you're making it seem is like that. That is like the special case. That's like that's how all house purchases go. I mean, that's how I'm trying to make it seem, but I guess it okay. wasn't coming off that way. Yeah, no, no, that's 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 a standard thing for houses. It's not it's not something that's like special from this case. Right. No, no, no. But the thing is that uh, the Seth Rogen and the Rose Byrne character they're kind of retarded. They even exactly. though it's a standard practice. They, oh, they, okay, they, okay. Got but it. it's but it's kind of you know who, I, I'm I'm really being snobby when I say this, but they already bought a house once, so technically they should know what this means. But let's not let's not get let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, so anyways, keep on going. So essentially, you know, they need 30 days for nothing to go wrong, and uh, the deal will go through. But of course, in those 30 days, the sorority moves in next door, and uh, now we have calamity that ensues. So that's pretty much, you know, sets up the film. Um, on the surface, I mean, it's essentially the same film as part one, but to me, it was different enough to make it kind of stand out. Because here you have, and let's go back to part one a little bit. So Zach Efron in part one kind of starts out as a babyface trying to make friends with Mac and Kelly, and then he becomes the lead heel, you know, by mid-film. And here, yeah. he kind of starts out as the heel, and then he switches sides midway through. So it's kind of like a like a role reversal in a, in a bit. But I think what makes the film work more than I thought it would was that the chemistry between the cast is very good, is very fluid, is what kind of what keeps the film afloat, in my opinion, even when some of the jokes fall flat. I mean, I'm not really sure if it's because people are saying it's a better film than part one, which I don't no, really no, know. No, 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 no. I, I, I love, I, I like this movie too. I'm gonna give it a pass. But I, I, I part one was, I was laughing in hysterics the whole time, and uh, particularly because of Zac Efron. You know, that guy, he stole the show in this one and in part one. So, uh, you know, um, I, I, I thought it was a good movie, but it was, it was not better than part one. And I'll yeah, get I... to my criticisms of the film right now when you're done. That's the thing, too, because everybody will say, like, oh, it's better than part one. It has, like, a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, well, I don't know about better, maybe on equal footing, but I don't think it's better than part one. I mean, it's a typical sequel, you know, but uh, but I surprisingly, like, it was, it was still, like, a very fun movie. A lot of the jokes, like, hit hard, and uh, especially Zach Garfield, like you were saying, like, he really, like, he does his best to steal the show here, and I think I think, he does. I think he's found his niche as far as being, like, a comedic uh actor you know i think he really found his niche yeah well he has that film coming out what mike and dave need wedding date so that's another like i guess up his alley so we'll see how he does there but i mean surprisingly enough i had a, a lot of fun with this movie and if you're looking for just a good a good laugh i definitely recommend it right and uh uh i well first of all i gotta say that the the problem here is that the fraternity was way more charismatic than the sorority all right that's problem and, and i'm not being sexist when i say this it's just a fact and then uh, the sorority were just like real cunty bitches. I mean, to the to the max, you know. And, and one of the things that that I respected about the first one is that when they were when they were battling the neighbors, quote unquote, uh, it was all stuff that was level. Like you could see that happening in real life. You know, you had a, a what was it, the Robert De Niro party or whatever. With you know, 
And, and so here, it's just, it's just very mean and it just vile stuff that's really against the law. And I don't know. It just, it just, <laughs> it, it just seems that, that they went overboard as far as what could, you know, as far as basing it on, on, on reality or whatever, which I thought was what made part one clever because part one, everything is within the boundaries of the law and they're going back and forth. Whereas here, they're like breaking into houses and like, you know, just. Yeah, that's home. true. And it was like there was no repercussions. And I was like, you know, it, it kind of took me out of it. It's like you're but, trying, you're supposed to feel bad for the sororities crying to root for them, but then they're doing all this illegal shit that's like, yeah. you know, it kind of turns, it makes you turn on them. And I don't know if, like, if, like, Clobe Grace Moretz was supposed, like, I really didn't like her character, and I don't know if it was her giving a bad performance or her dialogue, because I think that's the way it was supposed to be delivered, but I don't know, I just, she was, she came off as very annoying, very needy, very clingy, and I guess at the end of the day, that's what she was supposed to do, you know, I mean, I, but it was like, I was just rooting for, like, the grown-ups to just, like, go in there and just tear shit up, you know? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I definitely agree with that assessment because, like, nah, like I nah. said, in the beginning, like in the beginning, like the, you're supposed to feel kind of sympathetic for like Chloe Grace Moretz's character, like and her sorority. But like I said, then like the stuff that happened that they do in the film kind of just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and you, you're rooting for the grown-ups by 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 the end. Right. So what ends up happening? Um, with, with I'm not gonna get into spoiler territory. I'm just gonna give the overview of the plot. Um. So, so yeah, the sorority moves in. It's like, oh, shit, you know? Uh, and then what happens is that Zac Efron's character, his his uh, his, his best friend, uh, who's played by David Franco. Dave Franco, bro. <laughs> yeah. He turns out that he's going to get married, all right? We'll just leave it at that. And uh, and so that, in typical frat boy, you know, movie, that leaves Zac Efron, you know, holding the bag with nowhere to go. And That's so, the thing too about his character because they brought back Christopher Mintz Plaza and and then I think the other guy too from part one. But like everybody, like all his friends have like quote unquote grown up except for him. So he kind, he's like you said, he's kind of left holding the bag there. Yes, and so and so well, remember the thing is that he had that job at the mall, but something I forgot what the, there was a joke in there where he did he either quit or didn't like it or whatever, and then he wasn't there anymore. Uh, but what ended up happening was that. He still has resentment towards uh, the Rose Byrne. What, what are their names again? Yeah, Mac, Mac and Kelly. Mac and Kelly. Uh, he still has uh, resentment towards them. So what he does is that he he goes to the sorority and he kind of becomes their mentor. Like he tries to teach them how to party, you know, how to how to create ruckus. The only problem is that he starts noticing that they're getting out of hand too. You know, it's like so essentially he creates a monster he can't control. Is that is that whole thing there? And so somehow they the one of the funniest parts of the movie is when he gets the boot from the sorority that that you know where that whole scene when <laughs> yeah. they're on their phones and, and he's he's cutting a promo on them that's and true he's cutting a promo on the sorority bro <laughs> saying you guys are losing your way you know i can help you guys and they're all texting like we should get rid but, of him but the whole time they're texting to each other which totally like that that totally hit, hit like, home the, right like that like the culture gap between like sack efron's character and like today's generation you know so they're, they're 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 texting talking shit to him without him noticing and kicking him out while he's talking to them verbally and and so uh, when he's done they're like we just had a meeting and he's like when <laughs> <laughs> and then and then, and then he's, they're like right now you're out and he's like what? so that 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 part killed me that's a i love that part. that's a great part bro I, that might and, be and, the best scene bro and then they do the gimmick where he's talking and they have all the little texts around his head and shit of what they're talking about yeah so so um 
so that's when you say he turns baby face. He goes over to the other side, and then that he tries to help uh, Mac and and Kelly kind of get their house back or, or or get them rid of them so they could uh get their get their house sold. Yeah. Another classic thing is the the the, the friend of, of of Mac. He 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 also kind of stole a show in the first one, and here he's back. And uh, there's that 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 awesome clown scene when they go when they go to the uh, oh, that yeah. festival. The evil clown. Uh, yeah, I love that, especially because he has like a I guess what what you would call in a comedy movie like a jump scare, but it's not it's like a like a jump gag I guess you could say. Yeah. And uh, it, it just that's another part that had me in hysterics. Um, another thing too is that. I was really impressed with Rose Byrne's range here because she was really the like to me she was really the she was funnier than than Seth Rogen like Seth, it wasn't really about Seth it was mostly about her because like she really like had a lot of range as far as her comedic timing and this is the, like she just went batshit crazy at times you know and 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 so I was very happy to see that she could kind of go there when she has to because she always gets those absolutely. Roles. She kinda yeah, cause Seth Rogen at this point, like we kind of know what to expect from him. So in in that sense, he's kind of stale. But to see Rose Byrne kind of go batshit like that, that's yeah, yeah. kind of awesome. That was kind of cool because she's very she always gets those roles where she's kind of a stick in the mud a little bit, you know, and kind of serious. So right here, just to have her cut loose even more so than in part one was pretty cool to see. I, I thought she did a good job. So uh, yeah, definitely this this one gets a pass for me too. I really had a good time watching it. I mean, not as good as part one, but uh, I think. Part one also had, you know, the original factor going for it. You know, it's like that was it's like anything that was Neighbors one. You know, now you have the sequel and um, I thought it was. Per- oh, and there's also like a like a, a gag with the with the with the little girl with the daughter that I'm not going to spoil for anybody. Oh, uh, yeah. OK. Also, much like the green room gag, it plays throughout the entire movie. And uh, it's also very funny, including the payoff. So, uh, yeah, people should check it out. Absolutely, definitely. Like, if you're just looking for a good time for a, a few good laughs, definitely, definitely check this one out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So now, moving on to a film. Now, th- the rest of this show is gonna be about films that all three of us have seen. So we'll be all we'll all be able to get into on the discussion. But we're gonna start right now with uh, a film that initially I wasn't really feeling. I think we we brought this up on the um, on the uh, summer preview, but. You know, after hearing all the good buzz it was getting, I had to go see it, and I had a hell of a good time watching this movie. That's The Nice Guys. So, Adolfo, I'm going to let you take the rein in a little bit on this. Uh, tell us about The Nice Guys. Well, to describe the plot is a little hard because the, the, the mystery at the center of this is a little convoluted. Yeah. But uh, it basically involves a kind of um, a private eye who's played by, uh, by Ryan Gosling. Uh, who teams up with a, a hired like not he's not a hitman he's like a he's like an enforcer someone who you hire yeah. to kind of beat people up uh, who's played by Russell Crowe um, and they're basically trying to track down a missing young woman um, a missing girl missing teenager I don't know what you want to call her uh, and uh, bec- that, that's disappeared. Uh, so it's, you know, some people believe she's dead. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. See, I'm already getting confused with the plot because, uh, it's the, the plot is really convoluted, uh, because there's a porn star that, that people think is dead. And then anyway, (laughs) it involves involves these two guys in this, in the 1970s, uh, trying to solve this mystery. Um, they're both kind of in it for the money. Uh, but Russell Crowe's character is a little bit kind of in it for more. You know, he's starting to have has more of a moral reason to do it. Uh, but it, essentially, they're both in it for the money. I, I can't really go much more into the detail on the plot because it really is kind of a convoluted mystery. But that's okay because 
the film to me succeeds, and I enjoyed the film. Uh, the film really succeeds to me on the comedic chemistry between the two leads, between Gosling and, and uh, uh, Russell Crowe, uh, as they as they you know are. It, it's really kind of like it's not quite like a like a noir from the '40s, but it, it kind of has the same kind of story beats of like something you'd see like from, with you know Humphrey Bogart in the in the '40s, but mixed with you know. The kind of writing Shane Black does for like yeah. weapon, you know. Well, that's uh, the thing. This is a whole Shane Black production here. So mm-hmm. that's, oh, yeah. everything everything about this movie screams Shane Black. That's what he loves to do. You know, he's got that whole uh, not the buddy cop thing, but even though you know these guys are cops, but uh, yeah, like once you see Joel Silver, Joel Silver's name on there too, is that that's another guy you think about when you see this movie, you know. With like forty eight hours and, and lethal weapon, you know, those are all stuff that he's produced and directed. So uh, you do get all that vibe. All it's all in there. See, I, I, the one I get more like I, I get more of a vibe out of this. The uh, this is closer to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think, than to than it is to Lethal Weapon because and he Shane Black did that one as well because it involves you know two guys that are kind of uh, like at odds with each other trying to solve a mystery. Um, but it's basically kiss kiss bang bang in the seventies to make it to make it <laughs> with, with a with a bigger budget with a bigger budget and and bigger you know bigger stars, um, but yeah I really love this film uh it, it really does survive on the on the chemistry of 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 the two leads Absolutely. um uh, I you know it, it, you know it, you take this this mystery that involves that somehow involves a missing girl a dead porn star the porn industry smog. Uh, Detroit car manufacturers, all this somehow is all related to each other. Uh, Kim Basinger gets thrown in there for like a glorified cameo, basically. Pretty much. Uh, it, it's it's really uh, it's really quite a fun movie. Well, whenever I see that Keith David gets a payday, it brings a smile to my face. Always, always. So... Yes. <laughs> no, but for real, man. Like Shane Black here, like like Draven mentioned, Shane Black goes back to his roots here and. Hits an absolute home run. Awesome I'm, I'm happy too because after the Iron Man three, three thing, I was like, oh man. But that's a, that's a you know Same you're working here. with Marvel. But this is like something else, yeah. Uh, I mean, if we're to believe Joss Whedon, you know, I'm sure Shane Black. Uh, you know, well, the, well, his fingerprints well. were with Iron Man three, especially the third act. You know, with uh with War Machine and working together with Iron Man and their banter. That's yeah. one thing about Shane Black is that the banter between his two leads is always you know he just knows how to do that. He just that's his thing. You know, the dialogue back and forth. The 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 comedic the black comedy situations that he that he'll throw in there, uh it's and, and it's all here it's it's it really is a good movie. Yeah, I mean, and then again, like Adolfo mentioned, awesome chemistry by Gosling and Crow. When Go- Ryan Gosling is allowed to be wacky, he just like almost steals the show here. But like Russell Crowe was even wackier here, and like yeah. the wackiness just made it just an incredible, incredible experience, bro. This is a film with a fucking soul, bro. Something that I feel is missing from 90% of films these days. Fat, fat Russell Crowe being wacky is always a good time. Awesome, bro. And, but why, <laughs> and, and I hate to... I, I don't want to... It's not really a spoiler, but there's a... Uh, my favorite scene, bro. My favorite scene that I kept talking about after uh, after the theater was the coffee scene with the daughter. Where she throws the coffee on the girl yeah. when it's cold. <laughs> and, I, and then Gosling gets up. Like, he's supposed to be laid out. But he gets up and he goes, I like where your head is at, honey. So, <laughs> I yeah. love that fucking scene, bro. But, uh, I mean, just a wacky film, a fun film, and uh, just just an awesome time, bro. Awesome time. You, you know, you mentioned Iron Man 3, and, uh, you know, I think the, I think this is a different case than Age of Ultron with jo- Joss Whedon because I'm pretty sure I've read that Shane Black is 
has defended that that film and and the choices he made. So I, I think that I, the problems we had with Iron Man three that that was him that he, he he's good he's good with how that movie came out. So, but that said. Iron Man 3 was incredibly successful. It was, I think it was the first Marvel film. No, it wasn't the first Marvel film. It was the first Iron Man film to cross uh, a billion dollars. Uh, I think the first Marvel film to do that was Avengers. But then th- this is the, this was right after Avengers 1 uh, and where it crossed a billion. So let's face it. I mean, he was a writer-director on that. Uh Th- that probably, you know, allowed studios to like write him a check to do whatever he wanted for the next movie. Yeah, so the success fact. of Iron Man three allowed him to do this movie. So I'm all, I'm okay with that. The only problem is is that now this movie didn't really do that well. It kind of bombed. Um, it, 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 not a huge bomb, but it, it it um it's only made like I think thirty million or something, which in, in these day in today's day and age isn't a lot. Um, well, well, well. Here's the thing that you know when you have like auteurs, and I do consider Shane Black on a tour for some of the stuff he's done in the past. Um, it's very hard because you know we've always talked about why does the studio always go with the with the sure thing, you know, like these comic book movies. That's because they're guaranteed a sure return always, you know. And the thing about this, and, and you know it a lot from the trailer, like the Nice Guys trailer doesn't really tell you anything, and it's also very confusing. Like, yeah. is this comedy? Is this, you know, what is this? You know, so when you when 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 you're a studio head and you're trying to cut a trailer for a movie like this, that's kind of artsy but also kind of blockbusterish, it could create kind of like a confusion in the marketplace, and that's the reason why they really don't allow these guys to kind of do these kind of movies and put them out there. And it's like Adolfo was saying, it's like this is just another case of like like an accountant saying, see. I told you so. And then, okay, well, let's go back and make another. The let's let, let's scrape the bottom of the Marvel uh, barrel and see what what's D level superhero because that that'll make more money than the nice guys. So it's like that that that's that's one of the reasons why it's very frustrating to see like original movies in Hollywood because they got their assembly line and it's okay because that assembly line always gives them returns. Whereas you promote a movie like this, you don't really know what it is. Uh, cause it's made for a particular audience and, and next, you know, you don't have a lot of people checking it out cause your casual fan doesn't really know what it is. And to be honest with you, it's like, I think all three of us would agree. The trailer didn't really knock anybody's seats off. You know, it's like, okay, it's, it's just, you know, wh- what is it? You know, I mean, I knew Shane Black and I knew what to expect, but you know, your average person doesn't know that. So I could see why it kind of flopped. Yeah. And it's a shame too, cause I really want to see more movies like this, but uh, you know, the fact that it didn't you know, like the world on fire at the box office means we're probably not going to see something like this again anytime soon, at least not on a not not on a bigger budget scale like this was. And not that this movie was that. I mean, it's not like it had like a ton of stuff going on. I think probably the only thing that would have cost some cost anything is to you know is the period setting where they made everything look like it was in the seventies, and it did look and feel like it was in the seventies. Um, but you know, every time you do anything in the in a period, it always kind of you know, shoots up the budget a little. Um, but, you know, in, in theory, you could do this movie for cheaper. You know, you might not be able to get Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, but you could do it for cheaper. Right, right. I, I was hearing a uh, podcast with uh, John Carpenter, because he's actually on tour. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, performing all his, his uh, themes, you know, that he's yeah. the, which I got to... Oh, you're going too, too right? I, I got my ticket for LA. I don't know if you're going, Mark. Um, but he was saying, like, because, you know, he had that bad experience with, like, Big Trouble in Little China and The Thing, you know, and, and, and the mid-'80s kind of really affected him, you know? Because if you think of John Carpenter, he really should be up there with the elite, but he kind of had some bad luck in the 80s as far as... Not, not that his movies were bad, because he had some great fucking films and then some really cult films, you know? 
uh, that, that, that are just classics, uh, including The Thing and including Big Trouble in Little China. But he was saying, like, when you, when you raise your own money and you're an independent filmmaker, you always have more freedom and you could do whatever the fuck you want. You know, the catch-22 is that you don't have enough money to do whatever the fuck you want, right? <laughs> but when you work with the studio, you have more money and the, and the money is greater, but they have that assembly line and they have expectations. So you have more money to, to create your vision, but you have more restriction on ideas. So it's, it's like, where do you balance both of them, you know? And he brought up a good point as far as all that. And so that's, that's where people like, like Shane Black fit in. And, and you know, the, the, now we're hearing things about Rogue One that, you know, I don't, you know, about that situation. So it's like, it's, it's, it, it, it if if you're not a paycheck director, it's very frustrating because you really you really have this creative vision. And believe me, I've met filmmakers that are so fucking anal about everything they do. Like you know, it's like you get frustrated with them sometimes because they're such perfectionists, right? So so I could see uh, the frustration here, and 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 I don't know where the middle ground is at as far as putting your own vision, but also giving the studios what they want. So that's that's a very interesting conversation. Absolutely. It's it's on the uh, Brett Easton Allison podcast. If anybody wants, he has to. He oh, has word. He has his own podcast uh, on, on podcast one. Uh, for for the people that don't know who uh, Brett Easton Alice is, you know he wrote American, American Psycho, Psycho and yeah. uh, and the 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 was it the, the the rules of uh, attraction, sure. you know those kind of movies. I mean those kind of books. So he has a huge following and he has his own podcast and he has guys like Quentin Tarantino on there, John Carpenter. He's got musicians and they really really tackle some intellectual subjects, you know, as far as filmmaking and and the arts. So people should check that out. Uh, but yeah, they did talk about kind of like the situation that we're seeing with the nice guys where it's like, you know, you, you have to kind of thread a line and, and sometimes you go one way and sometimes you go the other and, you know, sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. So there you go. Yeah, but I guess the bottom line about just the nice guys is I, I guess I think the best compliment I can give it is it's a film that knows exactly what it's trying to be and just runs with it to the 10th mile, you know, and that's what makes it so fun, so wacky and most definitely a recommend. Absolutely. Right. All right, guys. Moving on to our next film, though, is a film so rife with the uh, satire, so rife with subtlety that you can cut it with a knife, as Mean Gene <laughs> once said. Uh, that's The Lobster. Uh, Draven, I'm going to let you take the rein on this one. Tell us a little bit about this film. Oh, now, this is like much like, like Adolfo. This is a very uh, – you're trying to make me – okay. So – this film takes place in, in kind of like a, in an alternative universe. Our universe, yeah. Yes, and it's not one of those comic book Earth 1075 <laughs> like we've been, like we've been uh, teasing in K-Fabulous. Fabulous, where, yeah. Where every storyline is just in another comic book universe. No, but uh, so this is in an alternate universe where if you don't find love, you end up getting turned into an animal. And I don't know. It's, it's focused on the city. I don't know if this is the entire world or just this city. And uh, so we, we meet our, our lead actor, which is uh, 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 Colin Farrell. Uh, and, that Colin Farrell, by the way. But, uh, yeah, but I think he did it for this movie. Yeah, unlike, right. unlike uh, uh, what's his name? Russell Crowe. Russell Crow. <laughs> so, again, this movie, had, like you said, has a lot of satire. Uh, I'll get into the filmmaker in a minute because, you know, he, he's a foreign filmmaker, which, again, you're going to get these kind of movies because a lot of these guys don't, don't really, you know, they, they have their own way of making movies. So uh, we meet David, Colin Farrell, and he's, he, he has his brother with him who, who, who recently got turned into a dog. And 
they ask him, what do you want to turn into? And he says, uh, he, I don't know. I forgot why he chooses to be a lobster. Does he ever say why? I think he said because like he likes the ocean. He likes the beach, you know. Okay, I forgot but, what else he says, but that's basically that's also. But what do he they pro- do they promise you that they're gonna put you where you belong with you? I mean, it can be a lobster, and they're just gonna be like on a living room or something, because then he will die. But anyways, uh, I don't think they ever go that deep into it. So, so pretty much the the first act of this movie, we're kind of meeting the characters that are that are in this. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what, what, uh, hotel, it? I guess. It's a yeah, hotel. it's a hotel where everybody that hasn't found love uh, goes to, right? Uh, and again, the puns here are incredible, folks. So you have, the, so we meet a character known as the nosebleed woman, who who her, her thing yeah. is that she just keeps on getting nosebleeds. All right. Then we have um, we have heartless woman, who's like the definition of a bitch. You know, she's a very mean woman. Uh, we have the lisping man, who's played by the alpha, the great John C. Riley, which really surprised me because I was not expecting him to pop up in this film. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so so we have uh, we have sh- a short-sighted woman, which is my my favorite pun of them all, uh, played by the great uh, Rachel Weisz, very attractive woman. Um, and 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 strangely enough, the only one that doesn't get a pun is uh, Colin Farrell, but maybe because the story's from his point of view, I guess that's why he doesn't really get one. And he's kind of naming all these characters. So, um, I really like this movie because it, 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 it where you think it's going, it, it, it doesn't really go there. Like, like, so what happens is that, uh, Colin Farrell ends up making friends with, uh, with, uh, the swimmer, right? The swimming guy. Yes. Okay. So which his name is loner swimmer. So he ends up making friends with him and they, and they're all actually he makes friends with everybody with with a uh, lisping man, loner swimmer, et cetera, et cetera. And don't forget Ben Wyshaw as the limping man. Like he was also very good. Right, right. So what these guys do in order to, for them not to be turned into animals, they're in survival mode. So this entire community of in the hotel, they just kind of they bullshit their way to a relationship. Like mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, uh, David ends up hooking up with with heartless woman, and and uh, loner swimmer ends up get hooking up with with nosebleed woman. All right. So I'm going along with this and I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting where it's taking me. And then, uh, and this is spoiler alert, folks. Then all of a sudden, uh, 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 Heartless Woman kills uh, uh, Colin Farrell's brother, the dog. She, she stomps him and she describes it to him, right? Yeah. And what, oh, one thing I forgot to mention is that they have rules. Like, like you can't really show emotion. Like, you, you know, you, you, you can't really, uh, you're not allowed to masturbate. It's really weird. Yeah. And then what they do to John, poor John C. Riley, bro, for, for, for jerking off is very yeah, sad. And, and uh, but then again, you get to get humped by a maid every night, which really, uh, you know, again, this is a very symbolic film. And I guess if you watch it yeah. more than once, you're going to cat, you're going to understand why. Um, but the gist of it is that they have rules. And one of the rules is that you, I guess you can't mourn your, your, your deceased animal family members because when Heartless Woman kills uh, David's brother, the dog, you know, he tries to, he doesn't sell it, right? He, he plays it off, but then he goes to the bathroom and he starts to cry and she catches him, all right? And so then she's going to well, go... Well, remember the idea, that, not to cut you off, but the idea that was, remember, that he, the reason they got together, the reason they were a match was because he was so sweet as like this this bitch of a guy, this asshole of a guy, and she's like the bitch, right? That's like their uh their match, that they're both heartless. So yes. when uh but of course it was a lie on David's part. But then when he starts crying over his brother, it proves that he's not heartless, and that's why like she catches him saying, you know, 
you, we can't start our relationship on a lie. We're going to take you down like to the hotel manager. They're going to turn you to the most undesirable animal or some bullshit like that. So, yes. Uh, and and I'm not going to get into the subtleties of that, the, the dialogue exchange you just described, because it's really, there's a lot of reality in that dialogue where she kind of accuses them of like not being like her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But but the point is, uh, so he he panics because then he's going to be turned into a lobster. So he uh, he, he whacks her over the head and, and, and then he, he, he drags her away. And they never say how he got her killed, but he does have her turn into an animal. We just never see it. Yeah. Uh, nor nor I, do we know how he convinced the people that, that she did whatever he claimed she did. Well, according to David in the story, it's none of our business anyway. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they wrote their way out of it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like Rachel Weisz goes like, every time I pressed him to see what animal he turned her into, all he would say was, that's none of your concern. And then he left it at that. So, <laughs> so, so from there, and this is where, this is where the, where the story took me for a loop. So I'm like, shit, that happened. Cause I thought that was going to be the whole movie. I thought they were going to go back and forth and the big build, the big blow off was going to be their confrontation at the end. Cause remember, yeah. I knew nothing going into this movie either. Like green room. I knew nothing, which, which again, this is better if you go into a movie like that, especially this particular movie. So I'm thinking, holy shit, there's still like another 45 minutes to an hour left in this movie and we're already here. He, he, so at that point he escapes. Um, and then uh, in, 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 a, in another cool scene, a limping man catches him and he kind of, he's going to rat him out, you know, kind of telling us about how fake some friendships could be and how like, you know, how, how hypocritical some friendships could be. Uh, and it, there's even a scene where I think David's like, I thought we were friends. And then he's like, no, we're not. We know, you know, something like that. And so, uh, John C. Riley ends up getting his leg stabbed, right? He gets up, yeah, and, and then like he kind of vanishes from the movie at that point. Yeah, that's like his, his curtain call there. So yeah, so so then he uh, uh David meets uh so they have these wildlings to use the term from Game of Thrones. <laughs> they yeah. have these people that have escaped and they're out there in the in the woods just the trying loners, to loners, bro. Yep. Yeah. So so uh so uh David ends up kind of becoming one of the loners. And he meets uh, Rachel Weisz's character, the short-sighted woman, and they end up kind of falling in love, and th- and that's kind of like the middle part of the movie. They fall in love. But one of the interesting things, and 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 the big I- I- irony of this film, I think, is uh, how these people in the woods were running away from regulations, but they also had their own regulations. Their own, which, yeah. Which made it very very hypocritical, and it kind of I think it, he was trying to say something about how society is like that. Like no matter where you go, you always have to abide by the dominant culture's rules and regulations, and there's really no such thing as being free. So, but this is but there's a lot of dark comedy here, which is which is really to me the 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 main thing that keeps you invested in this movie. Like I love the the promo that Colin Farrell cuts about how it's cool to be single because you could like jack off whenever you want. Yeah. You don't have to, <laughs> You know, he's talking to John C. Riley. He's like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to. I don't have to be up if I don't. And, and it's pretty funny because, you know, Colin Farrell does such an amazing job. You know, he plays it very dry. And that, very- that, that's everybody, though. I think like in this universe, that's just how things are delivered. Like everybody, like even Rachel Weisz had a very dry delivery about them. Like even right, John right, Riley, exactly. everybody. But that, I, I think that's just part of the universe. Though. I do love the world that, that, that this filmmaker created because it's a very it's very dry, but it's also very funny. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It, it has a lot of comedy in it. I would even say this film is like a dark comedy when it's all said and done. Um, so what ends up happening, this is where the movie kind of loses steam for me. So uh, short-sighted woman and David, they end up going into the colony and kind of going like on covert operations back and forth, you know? And then they go in there and they stop kind of, they start kind of creating havoc. Um, 
the hotel manager is uh it's she's married to uh to limping man right the ho- no it's, it's uh, some it's that old guy i don't know exactly what they call him but he's like the that's who she's paired up with though but yes uh, so what ends up happening is that they end up they end up exposing them as a fraud both both the couple um they do a manipulation tactic and then they, it ends up coming out that they're, they're 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 kind of a fraud they never really loved each other or were an ideal match for each other so that's their whole motivation they're like they go in there and they kind of create havoc and they come out and uh, that that that's when they go in there with the with the limping man and the and the nosebleed woman, who all of a sudden they have like a ten year old daughter. Just they just they were just giving this kid. Yeah, uh, that's what's so funny about it. that's my favorite line I think too. Like you know, should you come to like should your relationship come to an impasse where you know you have disagreements? You know, we'll just give you a kid. Yeah, you know? right. No, no, because kids sometimes allow disagreements or like something about how adults could be childish, but a kid will make you stay where you're at. You know. And and again, that is very true to very life. Very true to life. Yep. So so um, they have a kid, but this kid is like a creepy kid because this kid also has like no feelings. Like they have that scene in the boat where like kind of how all hell breaks loose, and yeah. she's just there, like she's just looking at them, like what the fuck. So then it turns into like uh, it's funny because the calling doesn't really come into play in the third act. It's mostly about the the people outside because yeah. uh, from there, um. The, the the leaders of, of of the the loners they ended up they end up finding out that that short-sighted woman and David were uh were together because because if you're in the loners community you're not supposed to get involved with anybody uh so so at that point uh both short-sighted woman and David have to kind of you know they have to kind of escape or do something to get out but before that happens short-sighted woman the reason she's called short-sighted woman is because supposedly she has short she's she's short-sighted so she gets manipulated into going to see a doctor by the leader of the loners and then she gets blinded or like officially blinded she can't see it uh so at that point um you know Colin Farrell uh David he's like you know, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, they go through this whole thing. They, they, they get rid of the loners. One, one of them, the one that started the whole thing gets buried alive. And the other one, I believe gets stabbed or whatever. And then, uh, it ends with Colin Farrell kind of sacrificing his sight to be with her, you know, and, and, and they don't really, they keep it kind of vague, but that's, yeah, they, they, they want, basically they want, you know, you to decide whether he goes through with it or not, just by, based on the type of person he is, you know, which is an interesting way to do, go about it. You know, you're left. You, you kind of have the ending that you want either way because you either feel like he goes through with it or he doesn't. But yeah. here's what I got: is this is what I picked up out of it from everything that the filmmaker had told us. Because he's like these 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 kind of symbolic movies. It's all there for you to figure out, right? You just have to watch it more than once and start kind. And the beautiful thing about these kind of films is that different people, depending on where they come from, they'll they'll, they'll kind of connect their own dots depending on their personality, and that's what you get, and, and all the answers will probably be correct. Now, what I got out of it was that because everything we had seen up to then, that David wasn't going to do it because the entire world was fake, and, and, and it, it was all about survival and keeping trying to be, be who you really are. You know, that, That's what I got out of it, and, and I, I feel like he didn't really do it at the end. Um, but I also felt like the third act, the filmmaker was trying way too hard yeah. to, give, to give us these like moments of like, you know, because then they, they also have this scene where like short sighted woman and David kind of build their own sign language together. Like he was trying to make it like way too cutesy so it could have more of an emotional impact. But I think he kind of fell short there at the end. And um, the ending that I really liked that they teased was that I always felt that 
David was going to be like, he was going to become an animal to protect her, you know, and that was, he was going to, and then they were going to kind of both accept each other. That, that was the, cause they do tease that they have a dialogue scene where yeah. somebody talks about that, but they didn't go that route. Yeah. That's the thing too. Um, yeah, I think about the ending though, it's, it becomes not so much what you think David's going to do, but then you kind of start talking about in that situation, what would you do? Would you go through with it? Because you think about it, you know, she's blind. She's not going to know either way whether you go through or not. You can fake it the whole time. But then that kind of speaks to, like, just society and to how people treat relationships. So that's always very ripe for uh, for satire, and it was awesome. Right. Well, what and, I think what ahead. I think it's trying to do is, is also uh, – it's also trying to, like, make you think – well, what, do you want him to do the romantic thing and, and, and blind himself? But then when you think about it later, wait, how is blinding yourself romantic at all? You know, it's it, it's really kind of fucked up when you think about it. So it, it makes you kind of want – it makes an, the audience kind of want the screwed up ending where he actually goes through with it. But then makes you think about, it, wait, why would I want someone to blind themselves? That's messed up. You know, I, I think that's it. Kind of turns it around on you. Um, I haven't had I haven't had a chance to speak up on this, so I'm just gonna real quick. I, I enjoyed this movie, but I had to really think long and hard about the film before I kind of decided uh, where I stood on it. Um, I enjoyed the first half more than I enjoyed the second Me too. half, but Me too, like yeah. I think the first half was a lot Agreed. stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do appreciate about the film, because the, the second half is a lot darker than the first half, um, and, and it just seems like such a dramatic tone shift. But um, what I do appreciate about it is the more I sat and thought about it, I think it's that uh, in, in this kind of dystopian society, alternate universe, whatever you want to call it, um, I think it's kind of a, a – uh, it's you know a metaphor or a, a parable or however I think a metaphor is the right word for yeah. kind of how you know our our current society how much they place a value on being in a relationship and um, to the point where. I mean, some of the stuff that I really enjoyed was like those little plays that they would put on for them, where the the two people are having you know dinner, and then the oh, oh, bro, those were a <laughs> um, laugh riot, bro. That yeah, was awesome. But and, and I appreciate that, like you know what they're saying in that in that you know in the first half of the film is like society tells you constantly that you have to have a relationship, you have to be in love, you have to be with somebody, or you're or you're useless, you're nobody, you're just an animal. But then what I think what I like about the second half is that it kind of criticizes the other half of that argument. Because I'm sure you know that there are people out, you know, I'm sure you know people that are single and they love to be single and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be tied down and this and that. And they and they kind of kind of lampoons and criticizes that argument too. So it doesn't really give you any answers, or or because it kind of it kind of criticizes both ends of the both both extremes and extreme ends of the spectrum. Um, but I don't know. I, I really I really enjoyed the. I think this is a film that I have to watch several times to kind of fully get what what's going on with it. Right. Um, because it, it immediately after watching it, like my wife hated it. I saw, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that was interesting. Um, but as soon as like the lights went up and she's like, well, "What do you think?" I was like, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I think. I have to think about it for a while." I mean, for um, something like that, it, it, to me, honestly, I kind of find it a very hard movie to recommend, only because it's a very challenging film. So if you don't want to, if you want to turn off your brain, this is not the film for you. If you want to be challenged, though, if you want to really think about the film, want to think about like what the film means about society, bro, then like 
I highly recommend it if you want to be challenged. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the kind of movie that I only uh, only recommend to like hardcore cinephiles. If it's some if to the general movie going audience, I would not recommend the film because it's because it is so challenging. I'm not saying the general movie audience is stupid. I'm just saying that general movie audiences don't particularly care for something that's you know not cut and dry, not a standard story arc, not you know characters character goes from a to b to c and i'm not i'm not criticizing that at all i'm not saying that that they're wrong for for not liking things like this uh but they're more prone to dislike something like this that's why i would not recommend it to them i would recommend it to like a hardcore cinephile and i'm not saying hardcore cinephiles would like this movie but they're going to be more prone to be accepting of it so um yeah it's 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 a good film it's a challenging film um but I, re- you, I think I need to revisit it once or twice before I kind of really kind of let it sink in because I'm still thinking about it now. And I also yeah. think the ending that you know the the open ending again, like like Mark was saying, is like uh, that that kind of at that point where he where he has the the knife and he's he's kind of sticking it into his eye. At that point, we become David because that's the reason why 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 uh, there's no they don't show him actually doing it because it depends on who's watching it. And and the kind of personality that that person has, either he did it or he did, you know. So so that I thought that was very clever how he did that. I just thought that the third act was very kind of like pandering and kind of like you know, I, I it just it just didn't connect with me. And I and I knew what he was trying to do, and some other films have done it right, but I just think he couldn't do it. What I think is, um, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Um, have you, you? I think I brought it up last time. Have you guys ever seen Dogtooth? Yeah, no, I, but I, I, I haven't. But you did mention that for the summer preview when we talked about this. Yes, that that and that one deals more with family. That's more of the family, uh, you know, unity as far as like it, it's it's also kind of like a satire and kind of like you know a critique on on modern society. But it's more is more it's more to do with family than, than it does with like oh there's relationships, but it's more it's more family oriented. Yeah, I really enjoyed that film. Um, I think I liked it maybe more than I like this one. But I kind of have to. I haven't seen it in a while. The one I would not recommend is Alps, uh, which is a second film, or not actually, I'm not sure if it's a second film, but it's the one in between Dogtooth and this one, uh, which I thought was not good at all. Yeah, I never seen that one. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm trying to hit 365 movies for the second year in a row, so I gotta watch something. So I'll probably check it yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but like we said, as far as the lobster goes, you know, it's it's a good film. I feel it's a very challenging film. Um, so like if you're a cinephile who you know who likes these kind of films, you're absolutely gonna. I don't know if you'll enjoy it, but you're definitely gonna come out like really thinking about it and talking about it, which is I think what any movie wants to do is just elicit conversation. But you know, as as a, as somebody that that you know me like myself, like when I went to film school. I always wanted to be a writer, right? And 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 having no guidance or nobody to lead me anywhere, I always felt like, okay, well, I'll just go make movies and I'll write whatever I want to write. I mean, I ended up understanding that's not how it works. But my my main love, my main passion has always been writing. That's that's why I stop I stopped like going on on film crews and all that because I'll be honest with you, like that whole the whole making a movie, it's a lot of fucking work, yeah. right? A lot of work, like you know. Uh, and and I got trained in all that for the sole purpose of writing. And 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 later on, I come to find out that you could write and you don't have to know all that. But it was too late by then. So my point is, I always appreciate when a filmmaker and a writer like you you got to think of the movie The Lobster, right? Like this guy sat down and he wrote all this, and it's like 
that's pretty fucking original. You know, he created his own world with his own rules. And, 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 and who the fuck thinks of like, okay, well, if you don't fall in love, you're going to turn into an animal. Better yet, a lobster, you know, the lead character. Like, little things like that are so, I, I respect so much because you, you, you really have to. That's what makes a writer and, and you know, having original content. You know, you, you're, you're really not following the beats that, 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 you know, have been predisposed to you since you're a kid, the Hollywood system or whatever. You, you, you actually sit down and you create an original story. And, and I really respect that. So in that sense, this movie, I, I really like it for that. Yeah, exactly. Holy, holy original. I think the, it's the originality of, of the story that attracted me in the first place when I, I talked about on the summer preview. And I just had to see. And this one, I, when I saw the good reviews, so I was like, oh, I definitely got to check this out now. So I actually made time. I made time to go see this and I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, like I always see like a guy like this guy here, uh, Yorgos, and I think like, what was he doing? Because, you know, when we write, we always have that initial spark, you know, like, what, was he sitting at a park and he saw a dog and he's like, what would happen if like, you don't fall in love and you get turned so like, I always wonder where, where stories like this, where their foundation is, you know, the first like, like pebble, and then it just yeah. grows like, like that, that. That's something interesting to me. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, but for cinephiles, for sure casual audience I, I don't know i think yeah. i think most people would get bored and that's what i'm saying too so for the casuals not so much but for cinephiles absolutely so now we move on to our final film of the episode and that's uh, our uh, resident blockbuster uh x-men apocalypse i'm gonna let adolfo tell us about the plot but before i do i have a question for draven and this yeah. kind of stems from uh the uh, latest episode of k fabulous which is on uh Geekdom101.com right now about Unforgiven 98. So let me ask you this, Draven. Which yeah. was more pointless? Wolverine in this movie or The Rock with a fucking flamethrower at Mania? <laughs> <laughs> I would have to go with The Rock. Yeah. <laughs> I think The Rock is still making his entrance right now. Yeah. He's still, he's still coming down to the ring. <laughs> he's still shooting his letters with the fire, bro. Jesus, that was the longest freaking entrance. <laughs> and I still believe that Dave Meltzer wished that Eric Rowan was accidentally standing behind that sign when uh, when Dave, when uh, the Rock turned set it aflame because he hates that guy with a passion. I'm, yeah, I'm done, bro. I'm done, Dolph. Tell us about X Men. Okay, so X Men is the hmm, I think it's the ninth film in the X Men franchise if you count the Wolverine films and Deadpool. Um, it is uh, it is the the third of the quote unquote new cast. Uh, of of the X Men trilogy, um, and it, it, it takes place well, it takes place in the 1980s. Uh, but first, you get a, a, a flashback sequence in uh, ancient Egypt where uh, Apocalypse is, you know, a very powerful mutant. He has a body. He has the power to. Um, uh, what what the film kind of fails that is kind of fails in telling you exactly what his powers are. But he's basically all powerful, and he can jump from body to body through very, you know. Hollywoody kind of ritual, um, <laughs> and uh, he, you know, the film starts out with kind of people who he's he's he rules Egypt with an iron fist, and you know he's he's about to transfer to a new body that looks like Oscar Isaac. Whenever <laughs> the uh, uh, whenever you know there's a kind of a rebellion and uprising that traps him in, in inside the, in a tomb for thousands of years. You fast forward to the 1980s. Um, you know, Mystique is kind of on the run. She's she's a kind of an underground. <laughs> hero after the uh after the events of uh x-men days of future past um the uh the xavier school is up and running um uh what else is happening um 
Magneto is kind of in hiding in Poland. He's kind of taken on an assumed name, uh, and he's just you know trying. And he's you know he's married. He has a daughter, and he's trying to kind of live his life in peace. Um, uh, uh, you know, through c- typical Hollywood you know uh, conventions, uh, Apocalypse gets l- set loose against once upon the world again, uh, and this time it's up to. Uh, Professor Xavier and the X-Men to stop him, uh, but that's not before Apocalypse goes around the world collecting uh, what he calls his four horsemen, uh, one of which include, you know, it includes uh, Angel, uh, includes, um, uh, not Nightcrawler, Psylocke, uh, Storm, and Magneto as the last one. Um, and then after that, after he collects his... his um, his four horsemen, it's time for the big world-ending uh, master plan to destroy the world, and the X-Men have to stop him. That's basically uh, your story. Now, here's a question uh, before before we go on, Adolfo. Who's more charismatic, though, Apocalypse or J.J. Dillon when it comes to the horsemen? <laughs> uh, I would say, I mean, you can't, you have to, you have to give J.J.'s, you know, his due here. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna do the joke of who's who and and this horseman, but uh, I think <laughs> I, I always. I thought I, I thought Apocalypse was Ric Flair and Magneto was kind of JJ because Magneto. But then Magneto doesn't do shit, so maybe he's like Paul Roma of the horseman. I don't know. <laughs> That'd actually pretty good. He's Steve, Steve Mongo McMichael of the horseman. Mongo. <laughs> anyway, bro. But uh, Adolfo, actually, you were gonna start your thoughts. Go ahead and then uh, Draven. Um, I so. This movie is, um, I think the film starts okay. It starts pretty good, um, but then it kind of loses its way halfway through before it kind of rushes to the big climax at the end. I, I did enjoy it overall. Uh, that's mostly based on the first act, the first act of the film, um, and some and some uh, some cool moments, you know, during the big fight scene. Um, but it, it it is flawed. I don't think it's as bad as something like X Men Last Stand or um, X Men Origins Wolverine. I think out of the out of the six X Men movies, I'm sorry, out of the nine X Men movie, it's probably like number six, um, it, it, which is not a great number by any means. Uh, you know, I think all the you know Days of Future Past, X Men United, Deadpool, uh, First Class, and the original X Men movie are all better than this one. Um, but it's not it's not terrible. It's just kind of there. Um, the uh, I know I know uh, Draven thinks it's terrible, but I think there's enough to like in there to make it kind of a slight. If if you think you know if if a thumbs up is a hundred percent. And a thumbs down is zero percent. It's like a fifty, fifty-one percent. It's like kind of leading up a little bit, but not not all the like way. Like thumbs in the middle, leaning up. Yeah, thumbs in the middle, leaning up to me. Uh, and it's basically um, based purely on um, uh, some of the action sequences and some and the and the first hat and the first act that was actually pretty good. Um, my the what I really enjoyed about the film was. Um, the first part with Magneto, not really later on, as you said, because he doesn't really do anything. After he becomes a horseman, he does nothing. Literally, um, literally, literally, he <laughs> stands and floats around with metal around. Yeah, him. He floats around with metal and then does really not much of anything at all. Like he, they explained that metal's flying around and then you know, raising the ocean and causing all sorts of havoc, but I, it, I never really got a sense of danger from that. Yeah. Uh, but the first scene when he's in Poland, the and family, bro, you're absolutely right. 
yeah, and his family gets found. You know, the 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 his neighbors and the police find out who he really is, and his his daughter accidentally gets killed, and he and he goes into that kind of rage. I thought that was excellent. I thought Fastbender was awesome in this part. Um, and I thought I love the whenever he comes back into the uh, to like the 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 factory, and he's like, he basically tells him, "You're all going to die here." And then right, and it's right right up until Apocalypse shows up that I was really digging it because then Apocalypse kind of takes his heat away and kills everyone for him. Uh, And then I thought that was kind of like, "Uh, all right. It would have been cool if that would have been Magneto's movie, right? Like if that would have been his story and then we're just gonna... But yeah, you're right. It's like like Apocalypse like a big party pooper. He just comes in and just like reminds us, oh, it's not Magneto's story. It's like Apocalypse's story. Yeah, I I mean, I did did like the... I did like the kind of uh, like the the comedy beat when he he turned around and he's like, who the fuck are you? But but then... (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like right after that like apocalypse just takes all his heat away and it's like uh i was really enjoying that magneto story right up until that point um but uh yeah because i love fast fastbender's good in everything uh so like he even made this and actually i still did enjoy the part where they were at um where they were at auschwitz uh and you know he was reminding him of of his childhood i really enjoyed that but then yes after that i think magneto becomes basically useless to the plot um he he's basically a macguffin for quicksilver um and he doesn't really do anything else for the rest of the film which i think is kind of a huge waste of 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 that character um I, i think the better use of the film would have been to just focus on magneto going evil because of that what was happening to him and not have apocalypse at all but you know that's what the movie we're getting i think my major issue with this is that the apocalypse spends so much time gathering the horsemen that when it's time for the big final fight it just seems kind of rushed it almost seems like this movie needed another hour to tell the story correctly um because it just feels like it's it feels so rushed to the end. It's not as bad as the Fantastic Four movie from last year where it rushes, but it's it's not quite it's not that bad. But it just feels like when we finally get to it, it's like okay, now we're here and like we just gathered everybody and now we're just gonna fight now. Like I I didn't feel like we got a chance to see the Horsemen be, you know, uh, be a menacing team in and of themselves because so much time was spent gathering them. And not for nothing, Apocalypse is kind of a jabroni, bro. He got taken down pretty quick. So uh, he just spent all that time building him up, and then he kind of went down quick. I don't know. But but I mean, no, because I mean, all all the X-Men were throwing all their full blast at him, and he wasn't selling any of it. So I, it took a while. I mean, it took the Phoenix to kill him, and it's like, you know, I don't know anything about comics, but I do know that the Phoenix is very fucking powerful. Yeah. So, uh, so, but, but I, okay, I'll give him credit for the fact that, you know, you have all these superheroes kind of like throwing all their shit at him, and he's kind of just, he's just kind of avoiding everything. And it's going on for a while, which I like, you know, it's not like, they spend a good minute, minute of half of him just kind of blocking all these, all these powers, and and you know it, nothing's affecting him. And then into the phoenix comes out, and then that kind of takes him out. But that 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 I do like. But I think what you're trying to say, Mark, is that okay? So I had always heard from comic book nerds how how lethal this apocalypse guy is. All right, and I didn't I didn't get that from this film. Like he doesn't really seem that menacing. That's to me. definitely part of it. And I think what actually where the root of this problem is is what Adolfo said that. The final battle, like, the the road there was kind of rushed. Like, if Apocalypse was able to have, like, a definitive win first, and then the X-Men kind of gather together and get their heat back at the end, then I think it would have been better. But I think because we kind of, they like Adolfo said, they gathered the horsemen, and then, oh, okay, it's, it's the final fight now. No, they really, there was really no way to really, like, build heat, like, to get, like, a definitive victory first. Now, it's the final battle, so now he's, like, he goes down pretty quick after that, you know? I mean, he does block their powers for a while, but then... 
he goes down and, and then he's done. You know? Yeah, I think, like I said, you know, uh, I feel like, and this might be the nerd of me coming out, that because Apocalypse is such a major heel in the books, like, I think one movie was not enough. Like, what I think they, they should have done, yes, in my exactly. opinion, is, you know, is kind of have the movie end on, like, some sort of cliffhanger where uh, Apocalypse is winning, and then the second film is like the, the or not the second, but the next film is a follow up where they have to take him. You know, they finally take him down because he just does not have enough time to really establish his threat. Um, he spends so much time gathering everybody that like you don't really get the moment of him being like the all powerful evil, uh, evil heel. And you know, yeah, and yeah, it, it, he's not easy to take down. He's they 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 struggle to take him down, but he's just not, you know. There's not enough time building. Like it doesn't mean anything when they do take him out. I yeah, guess. and he got and he got finished off in one movie. And this is apocalypse. That, that's bro. my point. Like he, he just. Well, he, well, he, well, wasn't the scuttlebutt that this is this was it for Brian Singer? Like he was gonna tag out. Well, it, it apparently so. Like the the the, the what what happened apparently is that he's uh, and you never know how how true these Hollywood stories are, but uh, he he's been you know this is like his baby. This is a project, and I guess he was um. He hadn't announced anything that he was not going to come out for another movie, but then I guess he met uh, he he was with uh, Danny Boyle or something at a party, like some Hollywood party, and Danny Boyle was like, "So you're just going to keep doing X Men movies forever?" And then after that, that's when he just he announced that he wasn't going to do another one. So it's oh, just okay. kind of interesting. Yeah, you know cause, cause Hollywood stories actually uh, how true they are, but I think that's a funny one. Because uh, I, I heard all the commentaries for uh, X-Men 1, 2, 2, and 3 to try to get jazzed up for this one. And for The Last Stand, he was saying on the commentaries, like, he didn't give a fuck because this is his last movie. So, Wait, why, no, no, Brett Stan. Ratner. Brett Ratner was the one, because Brett Ratner was on the commentary for Last Stand. And he was like, that was supposed to be the last one, all right? So he right. was like... The studio was like, do whatever you want to do, and that's why he killed off like Cyclops and and you know he killed off uh, Professor X and all that. So so you know that's what I'm saying. Like if this is the last one, that's probably why they killed off Apocalypse. Why keep him around if you you know every filmmaker, especially when they have creative control, like guys like a Brian Singer would, they'll be like, I ain't coming back. So that's somebody else's problem, you know. So. Uh, <laughs> That, that's probably why why he killed them, which brings me to another topic that I don't think we've ever tackled here, and that's the Marvel heels. Like, they never get any respect on any of these movies, and it's a shame because there's been a lot of great heels, and I'm talking about the Red Skull, and, you know, it, like, the Mandarin is the greatest example. And oh, it's, yeah. It's like, it's a one and done with these heels, and you they, they still have a lot of mileage on them, and I don't understand why you can't have a, a, an ending where they just kind of get away or... You know, whatever the case may be, but they don't have to all die, you know, and and you could always yeah. bring them back and, you know, even unite them like 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 Batman from 66. Like, you know, so but they just never seem to get any respect. Yeah. And that that, that is a, an issue I have with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because, um, you know, when we when we reviewed Civil War on this show, I was telling Mark about the uh, uh, the comics and then the comics, you know, with with the, you know, Zemo. In the books, in the Zemo in the movie was just kind of this this guy that was kind of had his home, you know, his family destroyed by by the Avengers and stuff, and he was getting revenge. But in the comics, he's actually like a full on supervillain, uh, and he leads like his own team of supervillain Avengers with like all of like the heels that like you know all, like that are the 
the counterparts of the Avengers, right? And I was telling him that in, in they're called the Masters of Evil, which is a very comic booky kind of supervillain name. Um, but it, it, I was telling Mark that you can't really do that in the movies because they kill every guy, every villain off in every movie. <laughs> yeah. The only and, one that's and, still and, around and, is Loki. And they've used some big ones, which is which is a shame. You know, they yeah. they've sacrificed some big some big villains that that have like a lot of equity in the comic book universe, and there's like a one and done. I, you could always bring them back because it's the movies, but it does hurt the fact that I would like a few of them to still be around. You know, the thing about uh, yeah, Mandarin by the way, let's not forget that our boy Tim Roth is still flying around. See, the Abomination is still alive. That's true, bro. That's it. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the I don't uh Adolfo you 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 might have seen it the Marvel one shot uh All Hail the King with Ben Kingsley. Uh, it's sitting on a you know it's a, it's a special feature on one of the DVDs. I never watched it though. Because the thing about Iron Man three and I oh, I keep harping about this because the first forty minutes are so awesome and then it just falls apart right after that and the whole Mandarin thing really bugged me like it really really bugged me. But this Marvel one shot All Hail the King essentially kind of teases the fact that the mandarin in iron man 3 wasn't the real mandarin so that's giving me a little bit of hope so i won't spoil the one shot because it actually it, it kind of leans in that direction but uh um but that's the thing about uh iron man 3 like i said that really pissed me off is how they treated mandarin but and it's like we're talking about like, you know with the marvel villains you know it's that they're, they're they're all one and done it seems i mean hope and thanos won't be that way it hasn't been but you know, with Infinity War coming up, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, yeah, it's, especially with the Marvel villains, that's a that's a big problem. But you know, in the X Men universe, it's different, a little different, because Magneto has been in every movie almost. You know, so and and he was the major heel in the first in the first original X Men movie, and he's been, you know, and in the in the new cast, he hasn't really. He was the he, he was the villain. At the end more of, of a the tweener cast. in these films, actually, it's not yeah, really. He was a guy, hero a in first class, and then ended up being a villain, and then kind of a tweener in the second movie and then in this movie he's he's the heel uh but then he becomes a baby face again at the end of the movie so like <laughs> but really and but when you think about it like i mean xavier shouldn't really let him go because he did still kill a bunch of cops in poland you know what i mean yeah. like he's, he's just still not really be walking around free but whatever uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know. The, and the, the whole timeline with these movies just got so so messed up. Like, originally, at the end of uh, Days of Future Past, you're like, okay, they corrected a lot of stuff from, you know, that the, uh, you know, X-Men Origins screwed up. Yeah. And, and Origins screwed yeah. up. But with this one, they kind of brought, they put in some more holes that don't make any sense. Like, one of the big ones I can think of is uh, Angel, who's like a kid in Last Stand, is now like kind of like a an adult in this movie, and this movie takes place like twenty years before Last Stand. And, then, and that's what I love, bro. The age thing is hilarious, bro. First Class is, takes place in the sixties, and they look the exact same way yeah, twenty good. years later, bro. <laughs> Havoc, Havoc in the sixties looks the same as Havoc in the nineteen eighties. Exactly. <laughs> like at least Mystique is a shape changer, so you can like. You yeah, she's <laughs> the only one that has like a past, like storyline wise. But everybody oh, wait, else. Wait, 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 when is she gonna turn to Ro Rebecca Romaine? Is my question because I want to <laughs> see that one then. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, speaking of Jennifer Lawrence, in this movie, bro, could she, this was a paycheck movie for her. She did not give a fuck. This, here. No, she had. Yeah, I was just about to mention. She did not give it, and it's funny because the because the more because she signed up for first class before she won an Oscar and before she um she was even in the Hunger Games. So in first class, she's she's in that blue makeup like all the time, and in Days of Future Past, she's like 
after she's like a huge star, Hunger Games is a big deal, and she's won an Oscar. She's like half in the makeup, half not in the makeup. In this movie, she's got like one scene in the makeup, you, you know. And it's like yeah. you're big. That's time. what no, I. But like in first class, like she she actually looked very hot in first class. Like she showed charisma in first class. Here, she could not give a fuck, and she didn't even look that great too, to be honest with you. And there was only one scene with her, like you said, like in where she's blue, but and she still didn't look good to me. But uh, still it, it, like it, no charisma, bro. Very flat. And it's yeah, she's really very she's very uninterested. And it's funny because after the movie came out, she has kind of made like because before it came out, she was kind of saying yeah, I'm done. She's done with X Men movies and blah blah blah, right? So after this one came out, uh, she has said though like she's like, well, if they reunite the cast, I'd be willing to come back. And I think it's because she just realized that all her Hunger Games money is is not coming in anymore. Pretty much. And she and she doesn't have a franchise anymore. And it's good to have a franchise in your pocket. So. Uh, maybe right. I think she's kind of changed her tune because she realized uh, I, I I don't because the Hunger Games are a finite series, right? You only have those three books, so there's only going to be three movies or four movies or whatever it is. Whereas the X Men can keep going for a while, so she, I think she kind of realized, oh, I think I want to keep that money train coming in a little bit. So, yep. uh, yeah. So uh, I think she changed her tune. I don't know if she will be in the next movie or not. If there's another, I'm sure there will be another movie. Uh, but uh, I, I know I think it's interesting how she changed her tune. After Hunger Games ended, so talk, talking about like aging and stuff, and this is not their fault. This is just the actors they had at the time. So they're they're in 1983. There is no way that Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy are gonna age so much to look like uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Patrick and uh, and and Ian McLean <sighs> doing 1999. You know, you don't. You, it's, it's too much of a short gap for the age difference that they look like. Again, that's just that's just nitpicking because that's the actor. You know, that's the actors they chose. Uh, but it's just wacky. Uh, kind of like how like uh, Obi Wan won't age. You know, uh, what's his name? Um, to Alec Guinness. Yeah, Ewan McGregor will not be as old as Alec Guinness was in Episode Four from Episode Three. But you know, that's that's just like like artistic choices. But some of the things that bothered me here. Um, the Magneto scene where he's up there, like I said, it's like, it's, it's just so, because, because, okay, I was looking at it or I'm watching it and I'm getting pissed off because it's like, do something like, like he's literally up there for like 10 minutes and it's not even like anything's progressing. He's just there kind of thinking. And he's not shifting. fighting anybody. He's not adding anything to the battle. He's just floating Nothing. there. And, 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 you know, you have like, like, like Quicksilver's kind of taking his attention and I think Storm's trying to talk to him but that's it but even in their dialogue he's not even responding to them he's just like looking at them like a pussy you know like an emo he's just kind of looking at them and just kind of like just everything's floating I understand he's supposed to be in pain for his family but fuck do something 10 fucking minutes and then when when Apocalypse and this is what I think heard Apocalypse he's up there in that mountaintop in the city right fucking around with 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 professor x as, as he's prone on the floor and they're also up there for a very long time just talking like dude do something he just he he just fucking with them and nothing's going on and and, and the other horsemen are kind of around him and nothing's really happening and and that really fucking bothered me because it, it's like a, i'm already thinking like just just fucking do something and then we have the infamous fucking scene with striker which i thought was the biggest fucking excuse to put hugh jackman in the movie where he shouldn't even be in the movie so they take our characters out of the plot of the movie. Yeah. To allow Wolverine up, cameo, yep. And and it takes about fifteen minutes of screen time <laughs> yeah. to give them like two minutes because they 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 go they go they go to the where the Project X uh pro, whatever that's called you know the Human X or whatever project's happening 
And there's absolutely no purpose to go there other than to show Wolverine. Because literally, as soon as Wolverine's gone, they're gone. They escape, bro. You know? <laughs> and, and it's like, you. Could, I mean, again, you know, as a cinephile, I, I catch things like that. You're a casual audience could give a fuck. They're marking out for Hugh Jackman. I, I get that. But I'm like, what was the point of that? Like, that's really, the thing, bro. Like, I did walk out for Hugh Jackman while realizing this is all very pointless. You even, know? Even, even, apocalypse that disappears for 15 minutes. The whole story disappears for 15. It's just let's take them to this. Let's show young Striker again. Uh, and 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 then he, and then it's like Striker just escapes, like fucking Inspector Gad, like Claw and yeah. shit. He just flies away, and we never see him again. He doesn't try to track him down. It's like okay, we had Hugh Jackman. We don't need Striker anymore. Bye. Uh. And it's like, okay, so did Wolverine just wander the woods for 18 years until they found him in 1999? How does that work? Like, <laughs> you know, and so that really, I was like, come on. And they do that whole like, oh, we're going to steal this from Star Wars. You know, when they're in the Death Star, we got, we got a couple heroes over there. We got a couple of our heroes down here. And we got, you know, the, it's like, we get it already, you know? So that, I didn't really like that at all. Um I just hate seeing Nightcrawler because of part two. Like, it really fucks with me. Like, I'll never be able to watch part two the same because, like, they already met this fucking guy, you know? Um, let's see. The Storm baby face turn is kind of, like, not really built up. It just happens. It's a little and, forced, yeah. And then and then uh, Psylocke is, like, she's totally, like, not even... She's, like, a non-character, you know? She's worse than, like, Ivan Drago. Who's she's like, eye really candy, a... bro. That's, that's all she is. She's eye candy. And then, like, why are you going to hire... Oscar Isaac, who's about five foot five inches tall, to be like this big apocalypse, <laughs> and then shoot scenes of them all walking together, and Sh- and Shylock is like an inch taller than him. Oh, damn him, bro! And, and and he has fucking lives to top it off, like Chris Jericho did in 1999. You know, it's like it's like fuck, man. Here's the thing about movies, folks: is like I might sound like I'm nitpicking, but when a story's not captivating you. You your mind starts just like wandering like that. You start catching shit like that, uh, and and that becomes an annoyance. That happens to me all the time. If the story's not capturing me, like I start looking at other things of the production. And it's like this: what the fuck happened here? And so it's just, I don't know. I just I just didn't think that movie was was properly made. And my main beef, because I always get with like, oh well, it was just, it was still it still had the the you know all, all the, the the explosions and the blockbustery things. All right, that's fine, but. We've established that a comic book booming needs to be a little more now. It can't be that anymore. It just can't. You can't. You can't. You, you have to evolve. You know. You can't devolve. That's just. It, you're gonna. You're gonna make bad movies. So knowing that, like, just try to make a good fucking movie. You know, like, you. you certain filmmakers from the from the Marvel Cinematic Universe have raised the bar. You can no longer. If you have any pride in your work, you can no longer give us a cookie cutter. Uh, a blockbuster movie anymore, you know, and, and and to Hollywood's credit, you see more and more uh, quality product now, which is good. Yeah, especially they're trying at least. They're seems. trying exactly, and and and, and is I know it's going against what they believe in, which I give them credit for. Uh, so to see a movie like X Men, it's like it's like a double whammy, you know. It's not it's not so much that the movie was bad, is that I expect more now, and it's almost like a. I, I'm not gonna say it's terrible. I'm just saying it's very disappointing. Yeah, that that's that's my. It's a disappointing movie more so than it is terrible, and that's a shame. You know that that's that's really what it is. And I remember when I was. Um, I'll say one more point here. I remember when when I was. Uh, I was having a conversation with Adolfo on Facebook. I was like, with 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 the with the logic that I just presented, 
if Ghostbusters gives me a half decent movie, I'm gonna like it more it's a win. <laughs> than X Men because I expect more from X Men if that makes any sense. So that's why that's why I'm going into like you know that's how I go into these movies is like I'm not expecting nothing from Ghostbusters. So even if Ghostbusters gives me fifty percent of X Men of what X Men was, then Ghostbusters is gonna be more of a winner than X Men is. So that's just the way it is, man. People have to pick it up. You know, these movies have evolved, and we want more story, more logical progression, less insulting of the audience, like Nightcrawler running around, uh, you know, Wolverine being in in in, in Striker's lair. Even though in in Days of Future's Past, we kind of established that he wasn't there, that that Mystique was gonna kind of take out Striker. That's kind of the cliffhanger that they left at the end of that movie. But yet he's still there again, and so all kinds of shit that doesn't make sense. So, uh, anyways, it, it, I mean, I, I, I have to tell people to watch it, though, because it is a spectacle. It is a blockbuster movie, and it is something that you should see, because to their credit, it's, it's not a boring movie. I'll give them that. So, anyway, those are my thoughts. Right. So, I can't disagree with anything you said. I, I think every single one of your criticisms is valid, and I completely am in agreement with everything you said about, you know, the Weapon X thing being completely shoved in there and has no relevance to the plot. Uh, you know, how Oscar Isaac is shorter than everyone else. Psylocke has no real point in the movie. Storm's turn doesn't make any sense. I, I agree with all that. But at the at the end of the day, I also, like, I recognize logically the problems with the film. But at the end of the day, I also cannot ignore the visceral reaction I got when I was watching the film. So, like, you know... I understand. If I enjoyed it, in spite of the flaws, there's there's the part of me that can't say it was completely a bad movie because the filmmaking, whatever filmmaking manipulation they used to uh, manipulate my emotions, worked in those moments. It didn't work for the entire movie, but it worked for enough moments that I was like that allowed me to give it a pass. Now. It's not a great movie. It's not anywhere near the quality of the good X-Men movies. It's not anywhere near the quality of the good Marvel movies. It's not near the quality of the Nolan Batman movies. But as you know, as as a blockbuster popcorn entertainment, it's fine. It's it's not great. It's fine. I was enjoy. I enjoyed what I. So that's kind of what I, I can't ignore the actual enjoyment that I got right. from it, even in spite of. All of the flaws. That, That's exactly that are there. my sentiment as well. It was a very fun movie, despite its flaws. If you don't think about it too much, it's a nice little popcorn film. And in the end, I I enjoyed watching it. I agree with you guys, because I mean, even with all that said, like an, a a good comparison to this movie would be like Jurassic World, which if you break Jurassic World down, it's like a horrible fucking movie. All right, but at the end of the day, we have a fun ride and, yeah. and it worked. You know, so it, it's the same thing. It, it, it's it's a popcorn film. Um, it, it just, my expectations were a little high for it. That, that's pretty much what it comes down to. And, and to your point about Ghostbusters, it, uh, I, it has been, I have not made any, um, secret of the fact that I, I am not, that these trailers have completely disappointed me and I don't think they should have made this film, uh, and, you know, so on and so forth. I'm not going to go down that road again, but at the end of the day, as a film critic, I'm still going to watch the film and I'm still going to give it a chance. And as much as I disagree with the business decisions behind making this movie, and as much as I disagree with the casting and the creative decisions going into this film, it could still be it in theory could still be a good movie. It's like you know what you know Schrodinger's cat. 
Have you ever heard that? Yeah, of course I have. Yeah, right. So it's either he's dead or alive. At this point, the movie is is either good or it's not good, right? Until you see it, it's it's both, right? Both, right? (laughs) So, um, so I'm I'm I now the there my brain is expecting something bad. I am completely expecting a bad movie, but I will give it a shot. And you know. I expected a bad movie for Fantastic Four last year, and for like the first twenty minutes or so, I was giving it a shot. I was like, "All right, it's not that bad," until it internal totally went off the rails. All right, so, give us an example of a film that you thought was gonna be just shit, and it really was good. That like you really came out liking it, not just like thinking it was okay. That you really loved it, you know even when I, even when you went in there, like even knowing that it was gonna be a piece of shit. You know what's a good example of that is the movie The Gift. You've seen that movie? Yeah. <laughs> I went into that thinking, well, this looks stupid, and I, I'm gonna hate it. And and I actually really enjoyed where it took me. Where like I don't think it, I, I don't I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorite movies ever, but like it it's so far exceeded my expectations that I really ended up enjoying it. I know because I remember when I said, you know, I think I'm gonna. See, I told you I think it was last year when it came out. I told you I'm thinking about seeing the gift this week. And you're like the gift, really? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, it's any good reviews. All right, yeah, okay, that's cool. That, that, that's the most recent example I can think of. I'm sure there are others, but right now that's like the one I can think of that off the top of my head. Um, what, what else? I had another point. To, oh, as far as like the Ghostbusters thing, like there's two re- there's there's two reasons why I, I don't I don't really care one way or another. First of all, like even though Ghostbusters the original were, was made for me, you know, I was born in 1980, so that that was I don't I've never really cared for that movie. Like I've seen it a bunch of times, it's okay, so whatever, but I don't have that attachment to it. Just like, you know, we don't have a lot of attachments for like like you don't like the the Ninja Turtles, uh, the awful. So it's like, you know, or not that you don't like them, but you're not connected to them like like somebody like myself is. So so I don't have that connection to the original movie like you do. And second of all, the the entire team of the new Ghostbusters, they have a pretty goddamn good resume. So going by that logic, this should be a good movie, you know. Every the cast is great, and the 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 production team is great. Like everything about it screams like it's gonna be decent, except for the fucking trailers that haven't been. But uh, that's why I I'm kind of keeping an open mind with it, you know, for those two reasons. No, I agree with you. It has a it has really good comedy pedigree. Like it's the the entire team behind it is. You're absolutely right. It should be good. But those trailers are so terrible. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that that I cannot disagree with. They're they're just so like pandering and you know force fed. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So um, yeah, I would say people should still watch X Men because it, it's it's a Hollywood blockbuster. You know, you see all the money spent, you see it on the screen. It's a, and and like I said, for all my criticisms, you're never gonna sit there and be bored. That much I could say. So if you're a casual fan and even if you're like a hardcore cinephile, just watch it and then you know. Uh, it's just another part of an ongoing story, so I think people should watch it. So, uh, one last story about action before uh, we kind of wrap it wait, up. Wait, 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 we didn't even put over Quicksilver, man. Well, that's that, true. That, that part I did love. Oh, you mean the real MVP, yeah. <laughs> Evan, Evan Peters, who's, who I'm becoming a huge fan of. Evan Peters, some, bro. He's done some good shit all around besides X-Men, but in, also including X-Men. And I thought his story was the best thing about the movie, just his, his little plot that he had. Uh, that kind of went unresolved, but I guess the, you know they'll probably bring him back one day. Um, so I, I really liked him. I think he's very charismatic. He, exactly, he's a fountain of, of charisma, as they yes, would say. Yes, and, uh, and so I, I thought he did a good job. 
Yeah, he he's he was fantastic. Uh, he had a great scene again in this. Actually, I may have enjoyed this this scene more than the Days of Future Past scene, um, because it was a little longer and he did a lot more stuff in there. Like, yeah. I don't know, it was cool. I, I I don't know, it's a toss up, but I really enjoyed his like his slow mo, but he's going actually super fast scene. Like, I think that's a really neat way to do that to show his powers. So yeah. so Adolfo, you're you're a big comic book nerd. I think I asked somebody else this, and they. Okay, so who's faster from these three people? Quicksilver, The Flash, or Superman? The Flash they, is the fastest. Have, okay, so The Flash is the f- faster than both of the other ones. Yeah. Okay, because I'm sure in, somehow in the in the comedic nerdy world, somebody has <laughs> actually timed and, 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 and done some research for that. Yeah, for it, that it's, if, if you go purely on story, the, fa- the, the Flash is so fast that he can affect the time-space continuum. He can go to other dimensions. He can go through solid objects. Like, he's that, like, if you go purely on that, it's the Flash. He's like, okay. the Flash is, is like a god, basically. And if you yeah. ever played that game, that video game um, that came out a couple years ago, uh, it was like Mortal Kombat versus Justice League or DC or something oh, like that. Oh, Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. I have yeah, that yeah. game. So the Flash is the game-breaker in that game. If you can't play as the Flash without dominating that game because all you have to do is he has a move where he zip where he goes super fast and then goes to the other side of the screen and then punches the guy. You can basically just keep doing that back and <laughs> forth and just and never get hit once because it, because the character the, it, it's a game breaker, right? Like it doesn't like they shouldn't have made the the the, yeah. the, the character in the game that, that it's the equivalent of rocket punching Marvel versus Capcom two essentially. Yeah, the rocket so, punch. Yeah, but yeah, the Flash is the fastest one. And also, uh, in the comic book in the comic book world, did Magneto ever try to start a family and kind of settle down, or was that just made for the movie? That was made for the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, actually, before we wrap this kid, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. But a uh, quick thing before we wrap up the film, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about this very slightly. Um, uh, I think Adolfo will get a kick out of it. Maybe Draven, you had a similar experience in your screening, but. Uh, the post-credit scene. You know, the guys walking through the uh the laboratory that Wolverine pretty much decimated. They pick up the the Weapon X blood vial, and on the briefcase you see Essex Corp. I think my theater did a collective. What the fuck is Essex Corp? When <laughs> that showed, so uh, Adolfo, you probably you probably got a kick out of that though. Yeah, that's like a real deep. Uh, that's a real deep cut as far as like uh. Like, I'm surprised they did that because, like, you're not going to understand what that is unless you read comic books. And usually, like, with, with some of these post-credit sequences, they, they put enough stuff for where, where you're like, at the end of the um, the Wolverine movie, they put in um, uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart to yes. lead into Days of Future Past, right? Um, but with this one, it's just kind of like, so basically, Essex, uh, there, there's, a, there's a character in the, um, in the X-Men books called Mr. Sinister. And his real name is uh, Nathaniel Essex, I think. So if if you Essex Corporation is a, is a is a reference to Mister Sinister. So I don't know if that that's who the villain is going to be in the next X Men movie or in the next Wolverine movie. But that's gonna he's going to have to be a villain in one one of them. So the only the only reason I know about him is because he was huge in the cartoons. I know he yep. got a big yep, push. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that's that's I I got the reference right away, and uh, that's one of those, I, now for the cartoons I am nostalgic for. 
And I remember that character, and he was pretty fucking awesome. So uh, I hope they don't ruin him in one movie. That's how I knew him too. But I, I, I just looked around at at the audience, and they're like, you know, what the fuck is that? What the fuck yeah. is Essex Corp? So. so, so if you watch the cartoon, you might know who Mister Sinister is. But like, they don't. I don't think they've really named his like actual real name as as Nathaniel Essex. So that's no, no, because he was be... already Mister Sinister when he when right. he showed up in the cartoon. Yeah, so like, so if you, so I think that's why most people were like, "What the fuck is it?" It's it's kind of a deep cut to like know who the hell he is. So uh, it, it, I don't know. I, it's cool. I, I don't know if it's gonna be in the Wolverine movie or in the or in the next X Men movie, but either way, it's it's he's a cool villain. So hopefully, it, it turns out okay. Now, according to this Marvel database, Raven will get a kick out of this. It says Nathaniel Essex, aka Mister Sinister, is part of Earth six sixteen. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the that's the main continuity Marvel universe. Is there a six one six? Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that because because yeah. we've been we've been kind of making fun of the fact that it doesn't get any lazier just to try to connect everything. Just oh, it's different Earths. You know, you have the Earths for the films, you have the Earths for the comics, or the alternative universe. There's something like there's thousands of Earths. So uh, whenever like a wrestling storyline doesn't make sense, we'll, we'll say that it was on Earth. 75 and then the previous one was like earth 11,000 or whatever <laughs> but yeah like, i mean just to wrap up x-men you know it's a it's the epitome of a popcorn film so i mean if you go in with with that mentality you're gonna have a great time especially if you're a fan of the x-men films already um so before we get out of here though i know i kind of draven you want to talk about maybe some of like the lesser known like maybe stuff that's on demand or on netflix that we can discover but i did bring up the uh the uh, canon films documentary and he kind of went nuts over that so i don't know if you've seen it yet but adolfo has definitely seen it and as soon as he saw it he kind of was like you have to watch this now so uh, um i guess adolfo you can kind of start about that just tell us a little bit about it and why people should see it <laughs> okay so this movie is called electric boogaloo the untold story of canon films. I saw it on Netflix streaming about a month ago. I don't know if it's still. I can do a quick check to see if it's still if it's still on Netflix. Um, but it's basically the, a documentary detailing the um, <laughs> the 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 rise and fall of. Yeah, it's still on Netflix streaming. Right, I just checked now. Uh, it, the rise and fall of of canon films in the 1980s. And if you don't know what canon films are, it was it was a movie studio um, that. Uh, was run by these two Jewish guys, and when I mean Jewish, I mean <laughs> Jewish dudes from Israel. Yeah, uh, go, like go, hardcore go, Jews from Israel. Go, Golan and Globus. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and you know who 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 just produced the cheesiest, schlockiest 1980s movies you can think of. They pretty much produced almost every Chuck Norris movie that came out in the 80s. They produced Masters of the Universe. Uh, they produced the American Ninja series. Um, they produced Superman 4. Superman 4. They produced Over the Top. Um, they, I think they did a couple Van Damme movies, like right, right at the beginning of Van Damme's career. Uh, it, it's... It just go. It almost goes through like almost every single major movie and like kind of the story behind it and what will happen with that one and before they move on. And it's just such a fun look at the. It's uh, it's a nostalgic look back because I grew up with all these movies and and I loved these movies when I was a kid. So uh, as terrible and awful as they were, um, but I I did love I did kind of love seeing like the 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 history of going into it and then see oh Death Wish they did the Death Wish movies. That's the other one. Um, 
and the uh, just just watching this this uh, documentary just brought back a lot of memories. So uh, if you're a fan of like cheesy '80s schlocky movies, you have to go out of your way to watch this movie. And the the title "Electric Boogaloo" is taken from the uh, from the movie "Break Into Electric Boogaloo," yes. which was capitalized in the break the break dancing craze in the mid 1980s. So um, yeah, so it's 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 really a lot of fun. Uh, I would recommend you watch it. It's on Netflix streaming right now. So, so this this film was made for people like me and Adolfo that were born in the '80s and that were just bombarded by these kind of films. Because I think I, I've said this before. It's like you know, my parents didn't speak any English, so when we went to the video store in the mid '80s, they weren't gonna get any dramas because they were going, "What the fuck's going on?" They 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 would get horror movies or action movies. And Canon Films was distributing about ninety percent of the like schlockiest makes no sense, just blow stuff up, uh, movies you could imagine. And that's all I saw for like the early years of my life, as horrible as that sounds. Um, uh, you know, I was like exposed to like violence and like nudity and like cursing with absolutely like no, they, my parents didn't really care. You know, I mean, it's not that they didn't care. It's just they were just ignorant to the fact of what could happen to a kid being exposed to that kind of stuff, you know, at that time. Uh, and so... When I, when I was growing up and I really got into movies like in the mid 90s, these were my heroes. These, you know, I was never a product of like the snobby, you know, art film, you know, movies like I saw. I would see The Godfather like when I was in like my late teens, you know, like all these great films, great American cinema. I, I caught on to that later on when I wanted to make movies as a kid. I wanted to make these movies, you know, how to this day, I wanted to make, you know, I have a yeah. bunch of scripts that are based on these kind of plots because that's what I want. That's what I was exposed to. So like I'll mark out if I ever meet like a Tom Savini or like, or like or... I'll, I'll, that, that, that's the kind of person that I'll like lose my shit over than, than meeting like a, like a, like a fucking di- great director of our time. Or like, I don't really care about like, if it's between like Tom Savini or like Martin Scorsese, I want to meet Tom Savini, you know, uh, actually I, I, I have Tom Savini. So I, I actually have as well. He's a real cool dude. Or like the Lance Henriksons of the world. You know, those kind. <laughs> those are my heroes. So when 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 this when this documentary came out, like I was just marking out the whole time, you know. And it's not a short. It's like about an hour and forty minutes. So it, it takes its time. Like Adolfo was saying, they go through the early years and then it kind of rushes towards the end. Because one thing they didn't talk about here. And I don't know if I saw another cut, because I swear I saw an original cut, and they were talking about the fact that they bought Spider-Man. Did they talk about that, Adolfo? Because I, I don't remember. They didn't talk about that. They didn't talk about that. But they did have Spider-Man. And so, they also... Um, no, actually, I was about to say, they also released that terrible Captain America movie from the 90s, but it actually wasn't... That wasn't canon. That was... Uh, uh, that was Golan's um, 21st century. Yes, yes. That yes. that he, he did after he left canon. That released the Captain America movie. Uh, uh, they did buy the Spider-Man rights for a while. Yeah. So what makes canon different, you know, for the people that don't know, is that they ended up morphing into an actual movie studio that would make movies. See, like a lot of people would say, well, like Roger Corman's American International was a well, Roger Corman was a distributor. You know, he he would he would fund some films, but he would also partner up with people. And his his bread and butter was to distribute all these like like B movie films in the in the 70s. These guys actually started making their own movies. And, and, you know, they, they, they kind of, it's funny because they, in the eighties, they kind of became 
in a very, very schlocky B-movie-ish way, they became yeah. what the Hollywood system was in the 40s and the 50s because they, 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 everything was in-house, including their actors. And you don't see that anymore. They, they had like, like Chuck Norris under contract, uh, Charles Bronson, Van Damme, you know, all these guys, and they would make movies specifically for them. And this is the kind of story that could only happen in the 80s, in the, in the cocaine-infused era, Wild West era of the 80s. <laughs> Because these guys would do, like, they would make posters, right? And they would go, like, to the Cannes Film Festival or, like, Sundance or whatever. Whatever was around back then. And they would say, they only had the poster as a concept. And they would say, we'll make this movie if you buy it. And they were like, okay, we'll buy it. So now they, off a poster, they had to make an entire movie. And, and there's a scene in the movie where they made all these posters that never got made. And, like, and like uh, they had, like, Charles Bronson and, like, you know, daddy's home or something like that. That was the name of the, but it never got made, but the poster exists, you know? Uh, and so it, one of the, uh, one of the cousins, um, the, 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 the chubbier one, I forget his name, the more, the more eccentric one, he was the crazy one. He was like, Oh, I make this, I make that. Yes. I sign you for this as I sign you for that. And one of the things that the documentary gets right is how charismatic that guy was. You know, they, 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 ha they have stories and anecdotes about, some of some, yeah, yeah, some of his shenanigans, you know, um, like they have this great scene where one of the actresses, cause he, cause he, he, he was like a, like a guy that didn't give a fuck. And he, he, one day he's like, I'm just going to direct Delta force with Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin. All right. Well, he's there. And like one of the actresses is like fainting, right? She's like, Oh, I can't do this. It's too hot. And then he's like, well, finish the scene and then you could die. You know, they, they would, they would yeah. share stories like that, you know? Um, and, and so there, there was this great story where, he saw a cut of a movie and he didn't like it. So he starts just doing, and then we could do this. We could do that. We could do this. We could. And then in, in those like five minutes of him, like re-editing verbally the movie, that's the movie that they, it became that movie. So they were just throwing shit out there. Um, and, and it was just comical and, and kind of like sad in a lot of ways, especially the ending. And then they kind of go into like, there was kind of like some shenanigans with the way they raised their money. They don't get into it too much, but there was kind of like some like illegal things going on there. Uh, that they talk about towards the end of the documentary, um, but the but but to me the 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 main jewel of this documentary is that anybody that's nostalgic for canon films or B movies in general, because that's my thing, like you really get a kick out of it. And I know there's a lot of people that are very nostalgic for that era of of movies, you know, um, that unfortunately because of the way movies are done today, you really don't see. So um, yeah, people should definitely check this out. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm dying. And that's another. This is the one that I'm dying, dying to see. Like it's on. It's at the top of my watch list. Really. Like I'm probably gonna check it out this weekend now. But um, dude, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Like next time you're just sitting around and you're gonna watch something, just put it on. It's it go. It, it's an hour and a half or an hour and forty minutes or something. It goes by really quickly in my because it's just so much fun to watch. And it's just, <laughs> I the the two guys are so like. That you're it's absolutely right. This story only could happen in the 80s. Well, know? one more than the other, though, because it really focuses on... That's true. On... The, the Golan is, is really the guy. Like, yeah. the other guy was more of, like, the like the the money guy the you know like he he didn't really get too involved with the, well, remember the creative the other, stuff the other guy the choir guy remember he goes to england and just starts buying all these movie theaters that was his thing yeah he just he just starts buying all these movie theaters in england for like or in the uk for like just to have them you yeah. know while 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 the other guy the, the more eccentric one he's just making all these movies and what happens is that when they run out of money 
the 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 quieter cuz he has to sell all his all his theaters back and that's when the rift starts between both of the cousins and then that's what ends up like they end up kind of like not speaking for a while but uh you know with all due respect to mark i don't think you're going to get the same impact that me and adolfo got just because you're from a, like a different generation you know i mean you really have to grow up on these films to really like understand the meaning they had in the in the mid to late 80s it just it was just a, a great time uh, for these kind of films to get distribution and, and so many right. B-movie actors came out of this, you know, um, and, and it's like Charles Bronson got a whole second career because he was done. The guy was completely done. He, he kind of, you know, he made these movies and, and he kind of got a, you know, he kind of got another career out of it. Um, and then they, they also talk about some of the filmmakers that worked in these movies, how they were not like, they weren't really proud of the work. And then some of them were proud of the work. Um, they got some incredible people to talk. Like I was really surprised. Like Molly Ringwald shows up in this thing, and and Robert Forster. These are like legitimate like A level actors, you know. And very like Ilya Gold surprised me that he was in here. Uh, Toby Hooper's in here. Bo Derek. I mean, they they really they really went all out with the people they interviewed for this documentary. Even the guy yeah. from The Lost Boys was here. Uh, uh, Marcos from The Lost Boys. I forget. <laughs> Alex Winter. Alex Winter is his name. Uh, 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 Lost Boys and Bill and Ted. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. See, there you go again. Uh, me being the movie guy, the B movie guy, I said Lost Boys, even though that's a big <laughs> picture. But I, I remember him from Lost Boys more than I do with from Bill and Ted. I remember him from both, but like uh, I primarily remember him from Bill and Ted. But so when you're watching this movie, Mark, uh, just just keep in mind that most a lot of these movies were released in theaters like when you look at yeah. it like, how, <laughs> like how it won't seem believable but it's like, true a lot of these movies like today would be totally straight to video straight to on demand but a lot of these movies were released theatrically in theaters and that was make that's what makes it even funnier adolfo please tell me you remember going into a movie theater when you were a kid and seeing chuck norris with the two uzis for invasion in the usa the big cardboard cutout Oh, you know, I de- definitely, that, I definitely saw one or two Chuck Norris movies when I was a kid uh, in the th- in the theater. Uh, so yes. I went to see. I was one of the few people who went to see Masters of the Universe in the theater. So, well, oh, I just go ahead. I was gonna say I just found a poster for Cyborg with John Claude Van Damme, movie I didn't even know existed. So uh, I'm already, I've been poster so fucking trippy. It's yeah, so eighties. That's what I'm saying. That. that, that. <laughs> That kind of exposes you in a way right there, Mark. I mean, I don't know. But the thing is, okay, let me tell a story about Cyborg. What happened was that the two two cousins had gotten the rights to uh, Spider-Man. And they were going to film it, but they ran out of money. uh, But they ended up constructing all these sets, right? Um, And and it was, uh, was it Spider-Man? No, it was Masters of the Universe Part 2 was the one they were going to do. And they run out of money, so they so they tell a, a, a filmmaker, go make a movie with these sets that were left over. We're not gonna use them, but we still gotta, you know, we paid for them, so go make something. And that's where Cyborg got got made. Cyborg oh, was shit. made out of the the ashes of Masters of the Universe Part Two. Holy shit, bro! <laughs> I can imagine how wacky it was trying to do that. Like, you literally, gotta come up with a movie around just sets, you know? And that's that, that's yeah, so wacky. Yeah. It's like it's so backwards, but like the fact that they got they made something even if it's schlock, bro, it's just it's amazing in a way. Well, 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 okay. So the initial the initial model was like we're gonna make like seven movies really cheap, and one of them's gonna make us our money back, and from that one movie we're gonna make seven more, and then from and it just it just became a chain. Like you know we'll we'll make ten movies, one of them will hit, and they'll pay for the other nine, and then we'll fund more from that. 
what well, the big downfall was that they wanted to become big time so they started making uh masters of the universe uh superman 4 you know um there's a oh, life force i think with toby hooper and the problem is that they were making big budget movies with the B movie mentality and nobody was digging it. So they were, mm-hmm. they started losing money because they started, they started investing 20, 25 million, you know, per movie. So it wasn't, they weren't doing like movies for a couple million anymore. So that, that, that's what started uh, breaking the studio down. And that, that would, that would eventually lead to its downfall. Very, very interesting. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I might check, just check this out tomorrow. Instead of watching NXT take over the end, I'm just gonna watch this documentary when I get home, bro. Like legit. No, no. Let, let me tell you something. <laughs> I bet you didn't know, Mark. Did you know that there was a uh, a uh, copycat of Indiana Jones by Canon? No, I did not. I've seen both movies, by the way. Yeah, it's a guy by the name of Alan Quarterman. That was the name of the of their Indiana Jones knockoff, and they made two movies with him. Oh my god, bro! Like this is like you're you're all legit blowing my mind right now. Like this is fucking awesome. Who's the who's the who's the woman? Was it Sharon Stone? Sharon Stone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and the thing, there's a funny story there. So the, so the one of the cousin was like, "I want that stone." Remember? Did you remember that story, Adolfo? He's like, "I want that stone, that that stone." And they bring Sharon Stone, and then in the dailies, the guy's like, "Who the fuck is this?" <laughs> it, it, it turns out that he wanted the girl from Romancing the Stone. He didn't want Sharon Stone. So so that's. See, that's you you get all kinds of stories like that, you know. Uh, there's a great there's a great story there about how like uh, he 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 actually sat down at a bargaining table with a monkey, an actual monkey. Oh God, had, yeah. He 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 had a <laughs> he he had a midget next to him, and somehow the 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 manager of the monkey and, and the cousin didn't come to terms. So he looks like he looks to the midget. He's like, could you could you be a monkey? Could you talk? And sure enough, they go to the scene of the movie, and there's the midget you know in a monkey suit talking to the kid you know so he originally wanted a real monkey they couldn't come to financial terms so he just put a, a midget in a, in a monkey with suit. with a monkey that... bro they couldn't come to financial terms with a monkey that's yeah. just so like i don't know bro. i don't even know what to say i'm like i'm speechless so <laughs> they were making so many movies that um they would go to screenings you know because they were the producers they were the financial backers and they thought they would be seeing one of their like 10 producers 10 uh, movies that were in production, but they were criticizing the movie they would be seeing because they thought they were, they were seeing another movie that was in production. So they were like, where's, where's the monster here? What was it? Why isn't this happening? But the whole time they were watching another movie that was in production. There wasn't the one they thought they were watching. And the punchline is even when they were told that it's not, that that's not the movie they're supposed to be watching. They still, they were still thinking they were watching the movie they thought they were watching. So it became a big mess because they had so many movies in production at one time. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, this, this is definitely next on my watch. Like I, I'm pushing it to the top. Everything else is second. Like I was gonna, I have freaking, uh, I have Demon Knight also on my watch list too. Oh, that's a classic. The, with our boy Bill Sadler. So uh, is that gonna be your first time watch for that one? Yes, it will. Oh, it's a, it's a great. That's a that that's like the very definition of just a good time at the movies. That's a great movie. Awesome, bro. But uh, uh, I I know Draven. Did you have any like other like of the like on demand or Netflix movies you wanted to bring up before we get out of here? Because I know that like it was your idea for this segment. So I know I want definitely wanted to bring Canon films up first. But if you have any other ones you want to bring up, you can go right ahead. Not really. I looked at my list. I haven't seen anything worthy of sharing. It's been kind of a bad year for like those uh more smaller films. I don't really, I, there's really nothing to talk about. All right. 
But, uh, all right, so I guess with that, then, we're going to wrap up Force Perspective episode 81. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com or send us a tweet on Twitter at fpmoviepodcast. Uh, Adolfo, plugs. Um, well, you know, the last on the last episode, we did talk about the Essential Films podcast that we're kind of be doing on the waterfront. That is still coming. Uh, that will that will be next week's instead of for perspective next week. It will be the on the waterfront show. Yeah, That's so it, it's just had some scheduling issues. We will have we will be doing that one soon. Uh, and also check out EssentialFilmsPodcast.com. dot com. Um, there's a few new articles up there, including uh, an article on the greatest science fiction movies ever made. Um, but yeah, so on the waterfront is coming soon. All right, Draven. Well, let me just say this: that I don't know if Adolfo read the the, uh, the credits when the movie was over, but there is another documentary, same story. Yes. It's, it's called The Go Go Boys: The Inside Story yes. of Canon Films. So, par for the course of everything they told us about these wacky two cousins, they so they're like. They're going to make a documentary about us. Fuck that. We're going to make a documentary about ourselves, and we're going to release it first. So uh, there's two movies about the same subject coming out that came out at the same time. I haven't seen the Go-Go Boys, though. I'm going to track it down. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I, I don't know anything about that one other than what they put in the credits. I, I, I tried looking it up on IMDb. I don't think it, it, it has as good of a rating as this one does, so we'll see. Which well, makes well, sense because it's canon films. So, <laughs> yeah, but, but, also, but also this is their movie, so you know it's going to be a lot of like oh, – yeah, there, totally. there's going to be a lot of biased interviews and stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to check it out, but it's not gonna, I know it's not going to be as good as, as Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty, and also uh, we've got okay, fabulous Lucha Brothers. Uh, this week we have, we actually have a special show. We we actually did a draft of all the WrestleMania matches, and we we, we explained the rules when we when we introduced the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but pretty much we got all the entire WrestleMania matches one to thirty three, and me and Big D kind of did our own dream card uh, using the pre the matches that have already happened at WrestleMania. Uh-huh. Um, but we have rules. Like, for example, if I use a match with the Macho Man, I cannot draft the Macho Man anymore. That's his, It's almost like a real, like a real card. Yeah. So, so if I, so if I, if see, for example, like if I draft Ric Flair versus the Macho Man from WrestleMania uh, eight. eight, I can't, I couldn't, I can no longer use Rick Steamboat versus the Macho Man. So you, so that's what makes. Or, the or, or Randy Savage versus Ultimate Warrior. Correct. Yeah. Now, now another you use, what about the titles? What if you use a title? Can you use it more than once? Yes, we but we have to specify that. For example, if the, if if, the, if there's a title match at a WrestleMania that we're gonna use, we could make a non-title so we could use the title later. Uh, but also, th- what makes the game interesting is that I uh, it, once I take the, I draft that match, Big D could no longer draft it. So that's where you get the back and forth banter because I could beat him to a match that he wanted, and he could beat me to a match that I wanted. And then towards the end, we we came up with the card. And we both compare and contrast who has the better card. So that, that, that's that's we thought we thought of something new. We're too lazy to watch another show, so yeah. uh, we just came up with that game. Um, you know, and there's uh, other little rules. Like for example, you have to have an undercard. We weren't gonna do the, you know, have a bunch of main events one through eleven. You know, we had to give some love to the undercard, so we made our own. You know, so little things like that. But that's coming up on Monday, this Monday. And uh, we also have Mayhem WCW Mayhem '99 coming up. Oh uh, boy. Yeah, so that, that, that's the reason why we didn't really want to do it because we're covering a Vince Russo show, so that's a lot of research for bullshit. 
So it's like, let's just do a, a wacky show where we kind of make up our own game. Now does, so, the, now does the drinking game come back from New Blood Rising? In this, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Because whenever you're dealing with Vince Russo, he's got, his, he's got his stamps. He's got his beats that he always does with pole match, calling a woman a bitch, low blows, you know, shoot, shoot names. That's what he loves to do, the shoot names. So every time you hear any of that, you take a drink. And uh, that, that's the Vince Russo drinking awesome. game. Yeah, I'm actually halfway through the uh, Unforgiven show. I'm actually on the uh, Owen Clark versus Huntor match, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Danny's marking out over Road Dog pushing the buttons. So <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. that was that, that was a good show. Yeah, it was like, like that show. Like that's I'm like I think I'm 10 years old. Like growing up during the Attitude Era, bro, I'll, I'll never forget it because you know that's when like you go to school like everybody's talking about raw everybody's talking about the pay-per-view so like that was a great time to be a fan i was i'm just growing up at that time too so it was very 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 nostalgic time for me to to relive with that show so yeah yeah definitely and also we have another concept called uh i was there that that was the name of the concept where we're gonna get guests on you know hopefully we'll get both of you guys on in one of the shows and the whole the whole gimmick is that we're gonna cover shows that you guys were at live you know so I'm going to do a show where I was at live. Big D's going to do one where he was at live. And then we're going to get guests on and talk about the experience of the live show when they were there. So we're, we're, that's also in the works. Yeah, well, I think I told you guys, too. Um, I think I told I think I told Danny more when uh, I came up for Survivor Series 2002. I was like, if you guys ever do One Night Stand 2006, you got to have me on because I was in that crowd. And I have a lot of stories about that. And it's, it's going to be interesting. So. Was that yeah, at the it, Hammerstein? It, it, Hammerstein, yeah. If you do uh, King of the Ring 98 with Undertaker and Foley and Hell and Cell. Oh, shit, there. yeah. Oh, you were there for that. I okay, was there. I'll, def- I'll definitely talk Big D because, yeah, we always like to get the live perspective, and we haven't covered that show. And you guys mentioned, too, that, that, that those few weeks of Raw from, like, after Mania 14 to, like, King of the Ring are, like, the best, you know? That's, so. a, that's my favorite television of all time. For I think they were hitting on all cylinders. That's when everybody had a defined character. There was different people in the mix as far as the main event scene. Uh, everything was making sense, you know, which is funny because that's like Vince Russo's peak. But then he had he had editors, you know, he had Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson. So pretty much what came out of Vince Russo's uh, entire career is that he has good he has good ideas, but he definitely needs an editor at all times. Definitely. <laughs> so. All right, but uh, so like I said before, uh, next week instead of Force Perspective, we will have the uh, Essential Films podcast where we finally discuss On the Waterfront. I'm very excited about that one. And then the following week, we'll kind of get into some more reviews. Uh, Conjuring 2 is this weekend. Then we'll probably have a Finding Dory on that episode. Plus probably other few other films that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and then we'll kind of continue our My Favorite Film series as well after that. But uh, uh, do you guys have any last words before we get out of here? Yes, for the Pulp Fiction, I want to be on. I've already. I'm. I'm inviting. Myself, I'm inviting myself to Pulp Fiction for the for your uh, my favorite film series. Your your seat is already saved with your name on it already. So uh, that's my favorite movie of all time, right there. I mean, it's just, there's so much to say about that film. That might end up being a two-parter. So <laughs> because there's a lot to dissect there, but it's, that, that's gonna be fun. But on that note, on behalf of myself, Draven, and Adolfo, I'm Sports Guy Five One Five. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, we are out of here.